What is up and welcome to 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good Monday afternoon to you. B.J. Bennett alongside Ben Troop, and we have a busy show uh, to get to today. A lot of college basketball talk on the show today. As yet, South Carolina uh, beat UConn last night 64-49 to win the Women's National Championship. Congratulations to Don Staley and the Gamecocks. They finished the season 35-2 tonight. You have North Carolina and Kansas playing for the Men's National Championship. Of course, North Carolina, uh, after the emotional win, against Duke. Now they go for the national championship against Kansas, who beat Villanova uh, in the Final Four. Some news with Ronald Acuna and the Atlanta Braves, who start on Thursday. We will discuss that. Obviously, the draft at the end of the month. We will discuss that. Spring football moving right along. We'll talk uh, dogs and gators on that front. We'll also talk masters. We'll wait and see with Tiger Woods. But with us here right off the bat, was hired in uh, mid-March as the men's basketball coach at the University of Georgia. Mike White joins us on the program. Coach, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on the program. Uh, what have the last couple of weeks been like for you? Have you have you settled in in Athens? And uh, walk us through the decision to leave Florida for the University of Georgia. Oh, wow. Been a blur. Not even close to settled. And I'm going to answer these pretty uh, efficiently because I know you got some other ones coming at me. Um, very quick decision, um, something I was really excited about. It happened again, really over the course of a day on election Sunday about Georgia. It was just about the opportunity and the potential, um, it was about challenge to take a, uh, job at a place I think has a ton of promise and, um, and do the best we can and swing at it. And I was eager just to jump at the opportunity. And coach, I read where you talked about how the hardest the hardest decision was really just really telling your kids, uh, telling them, "Look, we going from obviously Florida to Georgia." Talk about the and, and somebody they were saying what they gonna do with their Florida stuff. Some uh, some Georgia fan yelled, uh, "You know, you're gonna burn it." Just talk about being able to just talk to your you know talk to your young one, saying, "Look, I know we used to go up against this team. Now we're gonna be actually uh, rooting for that team, playing for that team, coaching for that team." Yeah, no kidding. It, it, you know, the family. Um our kids are, are completely on board, and, and they've changed their wardrobes. And they've got some really close Gator friends that, that they've given a lot of their uh, their gear and hats and uh, a lot of their Gator stuff, too. And it, it, it's all good. You know, my kids' friends back in Gainesville are, are really supportive, and they'll continue to root for the Gators. And they'll, they'll root for the, the Bulldogs at times as well. And we had a great experience there. We've left a lot of loved ones. Uh, my family and I, uh, Kira, who, who runs it all for us, we'll all settle in time, and we really look forward to that because right now it is just it's nuts. We're all drinking out of a fire hose. It's, it's incredible how much stuff we've got going on. But ultimately, the hardest thing was leaving those young men. Uh, one of the hardest things I've done in life is, is that conversation that we had that Sunday afternoon in the locker room. Uh, I had a great group of guys that um, – we had been through a lot of adversity together, and uh, and that was hard. That was hard. But we look forward to lifelong relationships we'll have with them, and we'll build some more here. We're chatting with Mike White, a new head men's basketball coach at the University of Georgia. So, Coach, talk about your vision for the Bulldogs for this program and uh, what your top priorities are moving forward. Yeah, sure. Uh, finishing staff. Um, Rounding out uh, our roster, uh, there's conversations to be had with guys here on campus who's staying, who's going, who can we get out of the portal, constant uh, level of recruiting, 
juniors, seniors, transfer portal guys, getting to know staff, support staff, administrators, scheduling. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Our vision is to be really competitive in the best basketball league in the country right now. Uh, Georgia is one of the best athletic departments in the SEC. There's no reason that we can't be one of the better basketball programs in the SEC. Uh, some of the best AU and high school uh, programs in the country are within a pretty quick drive. Uh, as many players per capita in the country right here in this state. So um, we're going to play hard, play together. We're going to play with gratitude. We're going to have high-character guys. We're going to play for one another. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to, again, being settled and that thing up next fall. Hey, Coach, you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned uh, the infrastructure there at UGA, uh, you know, uh, one of the best in the country, if not the best in the country. You're a couple of teams removed from having a guy like Anthony Edwards. You talk about the recruiting. When it comes down to what guys you could bring in, how, how, how has it looked on the recruiting trail? I know you've already been out there trying to uh, talk to certain guys. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been well-received well um, as we were at, at our last spot, and um, that's not surprising. I mean, we're, we are the University of Georgia. We talk about Georgia, you talk about Athens, you talk about Atlanta, the SEC, uh, the exposure, the brand. Uh, people answer your phone call. People have interest. A lot of these guys uh, in the portal uh, and, and guys uh, in the high school ranks, you know, guys uh, that, are, that are 2023 and so on and so forth, they want to learn more and they want to develop relationships, and that's part of it. So uh, we've hit the ground running with recruiting. We've got our work cut out for us. But, again, we have a lot of potential here and a lot to sell. Uh, some Bulldog fans, of course, uh, followed you during your time at Florida. But, but what style of basketball – do you want to play uh, in a in an ideal world? What's a uh, what, what's a Georgia basketball game going to look like moving forward? And uh, how do you plan on on challenging your opponents? What's your what's your style you want to play in Athens? Sure, we want to play pressure basketball as they want to play, and and we do. I I, I do. In a perfect world, we're going to play fast. We're going to have good team speed, and quickness, uh, competitiveness, and toughness, mental and physical toughness. Uh, guys are going to play to win. Right, and guys are going to spread back on defense and and communicate with one another. Guys that are going to be connected defensively and on the glass offensively. You're always going to make some changes based on your roster uh, and even defensively to a certain extent. We played a couple of different ways at uh, at Florida, um, a few probably. Uh, that said, though, I, I the things you can control are how competitive you are. Defense and rebounding are always going to be staples for us. And offensively, uh, depending on how many stops you can get, how often you can get out in transition, how fast you can actually play. Again, uh, base your half-court offense on the skill level and, and the strengths and weaknesses of, of our roster. Because you talk about you talk about being competitive. You talk about playing up-tempo. The one thing I know about you, uh, you know, followed your career a long time, is the, the relationship you have – with your players, I know being a basketball coach is different. I mean, you know, you know each guy inside and out. You spend a lot of time with them. Talk about being able to build. You know, uh, I was always told, you know, uh, rules without relationships, you know, lead to rebellion. You're a guy that definitely understands what relationships are. Talk about that building that relationship with the guys away from basketball, which helps show, you know, on the, you know, competitively on the court. That's the most important thing. I mean, that, that's that's why we're doing this, right? I mean, we're we're developing leaders on and off. Or if we're not, then shame on us. We're George has taken really good care of our staff, and we're blessed to be here. Um, 
you know, we we've we've grown. You know, we've um, we're at the next phase of life. These young men, uh, they need help, right? They they need mentorship, and uh, and there's a lot of talent in in all of these locker rooms. And can we help these guys on the court, off the court? How do you help them develop to be the best they possibly can be? Uh, first off, you have to have a relationship with them, right? I mean, you, they they got to know that you care about them. Uh, we do spend an inordinate amount of time with our guys um, off the court, and we like to, you know, and, and we, re- we recruit guys that we like to spend time with for obvious reasons. Um, and then I think that the, the authenticism, you know, with uh, authenticity rather, you know, with those relationships is so important to, just to be real with these guys and tell them the truth uh, day in and day out and be, be blunt with regard to, hey, you were great yesterday in practice. Today we've got to be a little bit better in these regards. But you have to have that relationship to have that level of communication and trust. Coach, you mentioned the SEC a moment ago, uh, you know, a very talented basketball conference. You, of course, know what it know what it takes to win in this league. What's it like competing in the SEC, and what are the most important things to win in a conference that uh, has obviously had a lot of success nationally? Well, incredible basketball league, arguably the best in the country right now. Oh, how is it? It's, it's grueling. It's it's unforgiving. Uh, it is every night. There there used to be when I was playing, even as a young assistant in this league, you could circle three or four early season when the schedule comes out. Well, I know we can get the gas. You know, I know we can get that team, or or we'll sweep this team. That doesn't exist anymore. Um, this league is brutal. Uh, but with that comes great opportunities for development, uh, for postseason opportunities, of course. Uh, and it's something that we can sell in recruiting. I mean, we, we sell the SEC for obvious reasons. So and we look forward to it, man. We've got to get better, of course. We've got to grow. Um, but it's, it's a fun league to play in. And, Coach, finally, I mean, when you think about, like you said, going from Florida to Georgia, I understand that you say you jumped to the opportunity – you know, what? how would you describe your approach, you know, going into this season? Obviously, you know, you look forward to each and every season, no matter where you coach it, but what is going to be your approach going into this season? My guys grow as much as possible. It's that simple. Every every day we're trying to grow. Every season we're trying to max out. So the program's goals will, will change and, and we'll adapt based on, on, on how quickly we can build and what extent we build this program into you know, eventually you'd like to compete championships, but, but it's, it's steps on the way uh, to get there. We want to max out next season. I don't even know what our roster is going to be next season, but next fall that's what we'll be talking about on a daily basis. What does our ceiling look like? You know, what is our best version offensively? And it may be playing through this guy 30% of the time and post touches 50% of the time. I don't know how that's going to look right now. Uh, but I, I do know it's probably simpler to talk about the fact that I'd like to be really competitive on the glass uh, and on the defensive end. Those things are easier to control, uh, but you've got to get buy-in, right? The guys that are out there uh, between the lines have got to buy in to the fact that uh, that will help us become our best version and give our, ourselves the best chance to be competitive again in this league. Mike White, hired mid-March as Georgia's new men's basketball coach, kind enough to join us. And, Coach, before we let you go, you had South Carolina win the national championship in the women's tournament last night. It's North Carolina and Kansas. 
on the men's side tonight. Have you had a chance to uh, follow March Madness as it's, as it's moved from uh, March here into April? Um, been any season since I've been a head coach for what we talked about in terms of just how hectic and crazy it's been. We've got our work cut out for us here. Um, we watched a couple nights ago, though. Couldn't help myself while I made some recruiting phone calls. Uh, I'm happy for Coach Staley um, have a relationship with her, a fan of hers, and, and happy for the SEC. I had to tip up tonight. You know, it's, a, it's a late tip, no excuse not to watch it, right? Uh, I think two really similar teams and two, obviously, high-level programs. It ought to be a fun game to watch. Coach Mike White, kind enough to join us for a few minutes here on 3 and Out. Coach, thanks so much, and uh, look forward to watching you. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys, for having me. Have a good day. New head basketball coach at the University of Georgia, Mike White, and Ben leaves Florida yeah. for Georgia. And, of course, the storylines there were, wow, you know, the rivalry. This is a rivalry you know well, football, but to basketball. Uh, your thoughts on a Mike White coming in from uh, from Gainesville to Athens? Well, I mean, I would be lying if I say it wasn't a shock of BJ when it happened. But I think about a guy like Mike White you know, trying to come in behind a coach like Tom Crean saying, look, does Georgia have the tradition in uh, basketball like it does in football? No. Is Georgia known as a powerhouse in, that, you know, in basketball like it is in football? No. But I think that's probably why he wanted the challenge. I mean, once again, Mike White followed, you know, a Billy Donovan. You don't want to be the guy that follows the guy at any school you're at. But BJ, like he said, man, he's looking forward to it. I mean, been walking with open arms. Obviously looking forward to getting to know the players. They're going to play a, a very, very competitive style of basketball. But he understands, you know, teams like Kentucky, Auburn, Florida, hopefully Tennessee's of the world, they're definitely going to be coming next year, but uh, we'll see what he can do in this first year. A lot of college basketball to get to on the uh, show today. South Carolina women beat UConn in resounding fashion, 64-59. Uh, to win the national title, we'll come back and talk about that. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Glad to have you back here with us, 3 and Out on a Monday afternoon. B.J. Bennett alongside Ben Troop and uh, Ben, South Carolina. What a performance last night. They beat UConn 64-49 to to win the Women's National Championship. And how's this for a season? How about 35-2 and and were just dominant for stretches of the NCAA tournament, including last night you had uh, Aaliyah Boston, who we've talked about, 11 points, 16 rebounds. Destiny Henderson, 26 points. Uh, Don Staley, one of the best coaches in the country, uh, becomes the first black coach to win Two Division One basketball titles, so congratulations to her, the Gamecocks. Uh, just a, just an impressive, resounding statement performance from South Carolina last night, and this is a program that uh, isn't going anywhere. Their second national championship in recent years, and they 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 really controlled that game against UConn. They really really did, and I I got to say this, Coach Don Staley. I mean, uh, congratulations, congratulations to the uh, to Lady Gamecocks. Went out there and I uh, got it done. BJ, you mentioned Aaliyah Boston. I mean, sixteen rebounds shows that look you're getting it done on both ends of the floor with. To go along 11 points, you mentioned Destiny uh, Henderson with 26 points. But Lady Gamecocks have been the gold standard uh, as, of, as, as of late. And look at who they do, did it up against. They did it up against Coach Gino and UConn, who just finds a way to get it done year in and year out. BJ, something we talked about. We don't do our job enough as, as male journalists, as male athletes, as male uh, you know, analysts, as men in general to make sure that women's sports are at the forefront. I like, I like the way you said You said Coach Don Staley is the first black coach. Yes, she is female, but we don't have to. We're trying to get it to the point to where here is in 2022, we're still having to say first in something. Don Staley is the gold standard. She did it as a player. Obviously, a great player, Olympic champion, 
And when she came to South Carolina, she said, look, man, we're not just here to – we want to win and we want to win big. And when you think about BJ, the, the we live in a social media-driven world, especially when it comes to sports and, uh, you know. But I think when you think about if this if, – if, 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 if Don Staley was the, was a guy and, and South Carolina was going – Two, two, how much more publicity would they be getting? And let's not act as if you know we ain't doing our part. When women's sports are some of the best sports, I think. I think one of the um, one of the games. Uh, I think it was like a, a Sweet Sixteen game had like two point five million viewers. So the viewership is there, and I I'm not here to compare the men and women. That is not what I am doing. I'm saying as 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 men, we need to do a better job of making sure we are you know are doing doing our job with helping push uh, women's sports. They do a great job, and BJ, you saw it last night. You know. Look, UConn, yeah, is, UConn is a standard. Yep. I, UConn is what, who everybody's chasing, and that's taking nothing away from Baylor has done over the years, and Stanford, and you know, and, and uh, you know, and Notre yeah, Dame. You think about Louisville and NC Louisville, State, and all yes. the Notre Dame, all these. Programs. But I would say this: yeah. the one thing I can't say about Don Staley is she knows she's doing it for more than just South Carolina. She understands that she's doing it for more than just women's sports. She is saying, "Look, we," she's you know, in a sense, we don't want you. We don't want you to see us as equal. We just don't want you to see us as different. We're not different from the guys. It's just a different brand of basketball. We play below the rim. They play above the rim. We more technically sound, you know, fundamentally sound. But Don Staley is getting it done. I mean, you can't say enough about her, BJ. I I know that Coach Beamer is going to get more pub because he's the head football coach at South Carolina. But the best coach at South Carolina is Don Staley. And anybody that says anything different, you're kidding yourself. Yeah, one of the best coaches in the country, any sport. Absolutely, absolutely. And, I mean, BJ, look. A lot of coaches want to win anything, win national championship in any sport. You start talking about two, three. You start talking to get a very, 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 uh, you know, a unique company when you think about that. But shout out to the shout out to the Lady Gamecocks, man. They went out there and got it done because you know how it is, BJ. Ain't nobody wasn't nobody really talk about UConn. And when you got it, when you got such a juggernaut like UConn. Coach, like Coach Gino, you think, oh, dude, are they going to go out there and pull the upset? But hey, man, uh, Don Staley understands on the biggest. It, it goes back to what I said about uh, Deion Sanders at Jackson State. It's not so much that he's a big brand and he's bringing all this attention. When he plays South Carolina State, you got to win it. Because you know, BJ, they're looking for every reason you know, to pick at you. Oh, they did this, but they didn't do that. Don Staley understands every time you see them on the big stage, I mean, 35-2 and two speaks for us. 30, I played 37 games. I, I, I won 35 of them. That's that's big time basketball, male or female. Shout out to the lady uh, Gamecocks for getting it done. And I saw, you know, on Twitter they was waiting on them to get out of the plane. I mean, they gonna be partying for the next seven to two hours, you know, rightfully so they've earned it. But hey man, BJ, listen, the big woman on campus right now is Don Staley. If you don't like it, you know what I'm saying, come see about them. They getting it done. And obviously, BJ, we always talking about how do they handle being the hunted. I think they've been that way uh since Don Staley's arrived on campus. Yeah, incredible season and an incredible performance, you know. Uh, if you if you mention you see the final score and you go 64-49, if you miss like the first five minutes of the game last night, yes. they were up in a hurry. Yes. Like it was it was it was twenty five to nine or something like that. And you think about UConn and you know the success that program has had. They don't lose a lot they don't. and they don't lose a lot like that. Period. And South Carolina for much of that game maintained a ten plus point lead. You know, you had UConn make a make a run in the third quarter, but South Carolina able to absorb that, which great teams do, and then close the door, finish the game off. Uh, you mentioned Aaliyah Boston with 16 rebounds, absolutely controlled the game from a rebounding standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, held UConn to less than 50 points. Destiny Henderson shooting the ball incredibly well, 26 points, but that was a comprehensive performance, a complete performance, and when you look at uh, uh, South Carolina's run through the NCAA tournament, 
their run through the SEC, 35 wins, absolutely no doubt who the best team in the country is. Yeah, BJ, and, and the thing is, too, I mean, look, we're we, we talking about UConn. UConn has put some of the most iconic, you know, players, you know, in women's basketball. We talk Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, Brittany Stewart. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, uh, Maya Moore. I think Sue Bird and um and uh, if I'm not mistaken, Sue Bird and Diane Taurasi, they got a new show about yeah. to come out. So, you know, and and I will say this once again, once again, I want to make sure I say one congratulations to. I apologize for not doing my part because we get so we we talk about the SEC and we separate it. Guys over here, women over there. Nope, they're both there. And I think when you think about Don Staley, look at look at the way that BJ you talk about. Nope, the first. 10 minutes of the game, forget the offense. They do lock, they, they lock you down defensively. South Carolina do not play yeah, yeah, you're talking defensively. About, you're talking about, what, eight, nine points, you know, 10 minutes into the game for and, UConn. And, and, and BJ, it, it's, it's something, man, you talk about. Rebounds, boxing out, full court press defense, not allowing any bad shots, forcing, you know, making sure you're having good, uh, you know, good possessions on offense. Just the things we talk about in basketball because the one thing about it is when you when you do watch the guys, we get so caught up in how athletic certain guys are, but not the best shooters. They don't, BJ, rebounding the boxing out is just, just a thing of the past. And my God, please don't have, have to win the game at the free throw line. But look, this is all about the ladies, rightfully so. They led the way. You know, South Carolina, they went out there and got it done, BJ. But, and I think, like I said, Don Staley, look at the way they enjoyed the championship, look, look, they did it with grace. They did they didn't show nobody up, but it was but it was a party after the game. And uh, hey, listen, if you're Columbia, South Carolina right now, I mean make sure you go out there and say congratulations to the Lady Gamecocks. Find a way to be at the top of the hill. National championship, great basketball, yes. great story, yes. great season from uh Don Staley and the uh, Gamecocks. Again, South Carolina beats UConn 64-49 to win the women's uh, national championship, finish the season 35-2. Now you have the men's game tonight. North Carolina and Kansas. North Carolina, can they maintain the emotion? The talk was about the Final Four. The talk was about the semifinal, the rematch. Coach K's career, that was it. But, oh, now you have another game. You have Kansas, who's been great. North Carolina and Kansas for the men's title. We'll come back and talk about that next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live on the web, ESPNCoastal.com. Men's National Championship game tonight as March Madness comes to a close here in April. You have North Carolina and Kansas. And Ben, I think this is the this is the this is the interesting question. You can get into the matchups and all like that. But North Carolina, that that final four game with Duke, a lot of people said, hey, this is one of the most anticipated basketball games of all time. North Carolina, you beat Duke to shut down uh Coach K's home career in in Cameron Indoor, and you thought that was going to be it. And then for the first time ever. Ever you play North Carolina in the NCAA tournament and it's in the Final Four and that game, uh, the emotion obviously, the intensity, the finish was back and forth. Could have gone either way. North Carolina wins that game. The celebration, the response was as you as you would expect. And Coach K's career comes to a close. How, if you're North Carolina, do you go from that? To now, oh, by the way, there's a national championship to play for. You got you to do what you do every week. I think Coach Hubert Davis is going to make sure his guys uh, compartmentalize the BJ, put it in the rear view, appreciate the fact that they was able to do it against, not arguably, the, the greatest rivalry in basketball is Duke, North Carolina. Um, and you, it helps you really, really uh, gain a level of appreciation and respect for how much it takes to get here. Let's, let's face it, BJ, North Carolina is superseding expectation. No one saw them going this deep into the tournament when you look They're at how at, they, uh, eight seed. Yeah, so I, th- I think that you got you to gotta, you gotta say this. While Duke and North Carolina just happens to be the greatest rivalry in all the sports, 
and you just happened to meet them for the first time, that wasn't your goal. Your goal was not to put Duke out. Your goal was to put out any team that's trying to keep you from getting to the national championship and then win the national championship. Hubert Davis, I mean, I know we talk about great coaches. I know that you know guys like Bill Self, who you're going against are already in the uh, uh, you know, basketball, you know, ACW Basketball Hall of Fame. Hubert Davis, I mean, he he took over for Roy Williams, who was in the stands, by the way. That is that is big shoes to feel. I think uh, Roy Williams has won everywhere he's been. And for me, Hubert Davis is a guy that's just going about his business, understanding what it takes to win. And BJ, now, am I is it is it is this gonna be the same emotional roller coaster? I would go no. I don't think nothing is gonna be as big as far as like a non-championship game that we saw on Saturday. But if you are if you are North Carolina, you got a very, very dangerous Kansas team that just really, really played well against Villanova. To get to the national championship in basketball, you're gonna run the gauntlet. I don't care what what you know, whether you come out of north, south, east, or west region, it's gonna be a, a big task. But I think North Carolina proved cause look, for cause for everybody talking about Duke, North Carolina, that was a great game. That game was back and forth, up and down. I mean, but and I think Hubert Davis, who you mentioned, you've now beat Coach K twice. twice yes, once to end his career there at Duke. Uh, in, in terms of home games, yes, once. I mean, just an incredible, incredible job. It, it is, and Hubert Davis, obviously, he, he respects the game. Obviously, he respects Coach K. Obviously, he respects the rivalry. Obviously, he respects that other side. But it makes it shows you just because think about it, BJ. It was the it was the Coach K show going to the game, and then once the game started going, it was basketball as usual. And North Carolina started, you know, they started winning the game down low. Uh, it was just – North Carolina actually outplayed Duke. I mean, they, they shot better from the perimeter. They shot better from three. They shot better from free. Th- but, you know, Duke and North Carolina, they just go back and forth. I think if you're in North Carolina, you ride that way. The great thing about when they get to the Final Four, you don't have a lot of days in between. And look, you play a day, you get a day off, you play the next day. But do not look past Kansas because Coach Bill Self and BJ, we talked about it. I mean, I think he won a national championship like 2007, 2008. Mario Chalmers and them boys doing against John Calipari was at Memphis then with Derrick Rose. But I think if you are North Carolina, you understand that, once again, I know we always talk about the greatest conference of football is the SEC. It, it is not a question in basketball. I know people say the SEC is good. No, the Big Ten is good. No, Big 12. No, it is about the ACC. The mere fact that Miami was one of the last teams standing BJ, and it came down to Duke, North Carolina in the freaking Final Four. The NCAA and then you so had lucky. Virginia Tech, who won yes. the ACC tournament. Yeah, so I, I do think that it's going to be a really, really good matchup. I think that it's going to be a uh, you know the tale of two halves because BJ, it's never, it's not going to be one of. I don't trust leads in basketball because of the thing called and one the three points, three pointers. I don't trust, I don't trust double digit leads. But I think if you are North Carolina, BJ, you got to go out there and say, all right, let's put it behind us. And Coach Hubert Davis probably said, don't ask me nothing else about Duke. It's over with. It's all about the team in front of us. It should be a great game, BJ, because like I said, uh, when you think of, when I think about when I think about uh, you know, uh, you know, Kansas and the gold standard of basketball they've been doing, I mean, you might as well pencil them in. They're gonna win the conference every single year. They might not win the conference champ, I mean the, the tournament championship, but you know Kansas is a very, very dangerous team. But I think it's North Carolina team, BJ, and I know. I know, uh, you know, it's all about, you know, Armando, you know, Bacot. I think it's Caleb Love. I who's, think who, Who's dealing with a sprained he, he ankle, is. by but the BJ, way. You know this, though. When we ask, is he going to play? Uh, He's not going to be 100%. He's going to be out there. But I think Caleb Love, who I think he scored the most points in a in a, um, in a Final Four since James Worthy. So, North Carolina, we ain't even going to get into how many great players that came through there. But, yeah, should be a great matchup tonight, BJ. It's going to be a battle of will. It's not going to be – because skill-wise, skill, skill wise, it's – both teams are skilled across the board. I think it's going to come down to, because you know now, BJ, what, 
10 deep. Maybe you're going to have guys come off the bench, score key, you know, uh, uh, key minutes, but it's going to come down to who can get into the offense, who can control the tempo, who can just let the game be another game. Because, BJ, I don't like to see – when guys start firing up threes, left and right, play the game, let the game come to you. Kansas, Kansas, you know, because we act like they didn't freaking beat Villanova. Act like, you know, that's just easy to do. Kansas is coming in with the favorite, but I think North Carolina coming in with the momentum. Yes, Kansas, I believe, at last check was a four-point favorite in yeah. this game. And it's been amazing because you talk about Kansas and obviously what North Carolina done uh, has done with, with uh, you know, Coach Davis and, and Baycott and Love and these guys. It's been a remarkable story, and that's been where the focus has been. You know, you, 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 you make the run not only as an eight seed, but you do it to then run into Duke in the Final Four. But you think Kansas, through all this, has kind of looked around and gone, hey, we're, you know, we're over here, too. We have, a, we have a good team, too. Nobody was talking about Kansas-Villanova because of the gravitational pull of North Carolina-Duke, and you understand that. But I think the psychology of this game is fascinating. And, uh, you know, you've talked about kind of storylines. Do they maintain themselves throughout a game? Or after 10 minutes of basketball, does it all kind of fade? I mean, I wonder if Kansas sort of feels like they're they're having to, you know, play for kind of extra attention. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. you think about North Carolina, one of the biggest wins in school history. I mean, even even for a program with countless national championships, countless Final Fours, as much tradition as anybody, that was that's one of the biggest wins ever, right? To beat Duke in Coach K's career in the Final Four, to respond to that not a week later, uh-huh. not a couple of days later. Yeah. Two days later, yep, yep. Uh, th- th- this is going to be th- th- this is going to be great tonight. It is going to be great, BJ. I mean, and the thing the thing what makes it great is as you mentioned, it is the storylines, right? I mean, the Big Twelve, they yell Big Twelve, Big Twelve basketball because of Kansas. That's that's why they're yelling it. If you talk about a team like North Carolina, well, the Big Twelve, we're talking about the ACC though. Uh, National yeah, yeah, title last year it, with it, Baylor as they, well. But what I'm saying is, BJ, it's like this: you want me over with. The ACC beats up on each other so bad during the regular season, then they go straight to the, the, uh, the you know, uh, I mean, the tournament, I mean, the conference tournament, then they go straight into the NCAA tournament. I think there's they're, an element to that. I yeah, really they're, they're worn out. I mean, BJ, you mentioned it. Duke, Duke and North Carolina is going to be the class of the ACC, right? Virginia Tech won the freaking tur- conference tournament. Miami went farther, farther in, the, in the tournament. I mean, the ACC could be, I mean, what, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech. I mean, then you got North Carolina, you got, you got Duke, I mean, and so on and so forth, Clemson. You guys saw it. I think that what happens tonight is we're going to see if North Carolina want to have staying power. Because think about Hubert Davis for a second. Okay, no more Coach K, right? Duke is still going to be Duke. You win this thing, that means, all right, are you establish yourself as the, as the front runner in the ACC for the next 10 years, 20 years? Because that's how it goes. Duke is always going to be Duke, but it's going to be weird watching the, you know, Duke sideline not have a Coach K on it. He's probably going to be somewhere in the stands. They're probably going to have a Coach K cam. But I do think, BJ, this is about staying power. I think the one thing that people don't understand about being the top dog is top dog don't mean you got to win it. That means you have to beat me to win it. Or I'm the ones that's right there. You don't got to win it every single year. So if you are Hubert Davis or you are saying, look, I wanted y'all to stop talking about Roy Williams, but I got to establish myself as the guy, not just in the ACC, but in the NCAA tournament, he got a chance to do it. Because let's face it, BJ, nobody thought that Hubert Davis would have this much success this early as the, as the head coach of North Carolina, even if you were on the staff, even if you understand the infrastructure. But we will see, because there was a juggernaut known as Bill Self and the Kansas City Jays. They will want nothing more than to break up this party, because that's what it's going to be. But I will say this, the scapegoat is already there. If North Carolina don't win, oh, man, they're coming off, you know, the emotional roller coaster of beating Duke. No, man, you had 48 hours, man. Deal with it. North Carolina won the horse because BJ, that's what it really is. 
Uh, North Carolina has six career national championships. Duke has five. If North Carolina adds a seventh, do they look back on Duke and say thank you for helping us? Add, you know, put put a little bit more. Distance I think they would love us. that. Not only did we, not only did we end Coach K's tenure yes. there at Duke, but we then followed that up with a national championship to add yet another national championship uh, to the trophy case there for North Carolina. But some great players in tonight's game. You mentioned Love and Baycott. Uh, Kansas has Ochai Agbaji, who had six threes against Villanova and star power all over the place. I am. Just, just, just quickly interested to see, uh, you know, how healthy Baycott is. I know he'll be able to go. You're gonna, yeah. you're absolutely gonna it's go. Gonna be momentum but he driven. had like 23 rebounds yeah. against Duke. I mean, controlled the game. Yeah. So a couple of storylines to watch there. BJ being able to affect the game without scoring the basket is, is one of the most, it's one of the greatest lost art when you think about basketball. I think too often at times we're looking at the box scores. I know BJ, you look at the box score. Box scores don't tell you the story. That's why you have to, you got to box scores plus eye test tells the whole story because I want to see it and I want to go to the box score to validate it. But I. Like I said, BJ, we we talk about the stars a lot of times, right? It'll come down to a no name star. I got it. We hasn't played his best thus far. Caleb, I mean, uh, Caleb Love. I mean, the most, the most, uh, the most points in the, in, a, in the final four since James Worthy for them UNC uh, Tar Heels. But look, it's it's the blue bloods. We made so much about you know. I mean, I get it. You know, when you when you, when you Saint Peter's, you know, they they was a feel good story. But when it's all said and done, it's Kansas, it's UNC, it's Davis. You know, it's Bill Self. We'll see what happens. But BJ, I think it's going to be. I hope. I hope it's a. I hope it's a great one. I do not like blowouts in the national championship. No, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a, a game that comes down to the wire tonight. Again, at last check, Kansas is a four point favorite. The Braves. Uh, it, it, game week is here in terms of in terms of opening day. We'll come back and talk about that next. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Ben Kevin was so excited about Braves baseball. Had to had, had to just take off from work. Couldn't deal with it. Defending champs. Yep. Uh, season starting against the Reds. I mean, I, what, where are you expectation-wise? Because you look at a lot of the power rankings, and it seems to be like, what, top three consensus? You know, maybe it's the Dodgers, maybe it's the Blue Jays, some other teams, but this team's going to be great once again, right? I mean, right? Yeah, they're going to be good. I mean, they're going to be really, really good, BJ. I mean, what, what? like I said, the I know I shouldn't look back to look forward, but what would make me think this Braves team is not going to contend? Last four years, since Allison Thomas has gotten there, they won in in L. East, right? I know, I know it's going to be different looking at first base, seeing Oston on the, on on the back, and not you know, I mean, not not Freeman, but B.J. I know we're going to get to it, Ronald Cooney Jr. How long how, is he going to come back sooner than we thought? Depending on uh, you know what happens. Big happened question. Big question. Um, but look, I I think when you think about, you always talk about this to win in the postseason, you need starting pitching. Braves got that. Now, are they DeGrom and Scherzer? No. Right, but Scherzer right now is dealing with his own problems right now. Rob and Scherzer, yeah, yeah. So, so I think that the one thing I've seen this team do, BJ, in the last four years, I've seen them grow. I've seen them come together as a team. I've seen the culture of the team grow. I've seen different guys getting to keep keep because I know we're talking about last year's team: Jock Peterson, Solaire, you know, uh, you know, and and, and I, Rosario, right. All, only one you got from those guys is Rosario. Marcelo Zuna did not contribute last year for the Braves. He's back. You talk about you talk about Austin Riley. You know you talk about Dejan Swans. You talk about Isaiah Albers. And even though no Freddie Freeman, BJ, if if Olsen can give you thirty nine home runs, we saw the greatest Braves infield last year in twenty twenty one stat wise. You, you I mean you, you talk you talk about when does Mike Soroka come back? But you don't have a lot of holes to fill. And as you mentioned, BJ, this uh this Braves bullpen might be the best in the majors, and that's taking nothing away from any other team. I like the Braves' chances. I like the fact that. They're a team that understands 
It's about when you know when it comes to the series. It's about you know winning those series. It's about the it's about the ebbs and flows of the season. And I and like I said, Alice Anthopoulos is who I got more trust than anybody because seems to know every move he's made. Him and Snit. I mean, people thought there wasn't going to be a match made in heaven. I think they have superseded expectations. And BJ, four years in, four NL East championships, one World Series. I, I think anybody will take those odds. I know you've talked a lot over the years about you know dealing with pressure as a as a pro athlete and kind of how do you how do you live up to expectations, all that stuff. Matt Olson, you're replacing Freddie Freeman. And everybody loves Matt Olson. The numbers are what they are. But I think if there is a bit of hesitation with the Braves from the outside looking in, it's, well, no Freddie Freeman for the first time in in forever. Mm-hmm. Matt Olson comes in following the guy, yeah. following a World Series, yes. following an MVP. Yes. And he's an Atlanta native. How, I mean, how do you how do you deal with this? How do you manage this if you're Matt Olson? Go out there and be yourself. He was a good player on a bad team. And as Kevin said, we're talking about a very, very favorable, you know, ballparks in the National League. I think if you met Olsen, one, using Atlanta native, BJ, that's enough pressure. Two, you grew up an Atlanta Braves fan, that's enough pressure. And three, you got the call. Growing up in Atlanta, he said, man, I always want to play for the Braves. Now, you know, but obviously he wants to play in the majors even more. He gets that call, BJ, because we, we forget this. The Braves were the only team that wanted Matt Olsen's services. The Yankees was all, all also, you know, uh, trying to, you know, trying to, uh, you know, bid for his services. I think he'll be just fine. I think sometimes... We look at pressure the wrong. We're all under pressure. Pressure when it comes to sports is a good thing because it's not like it's not life and death. It's just your livelihood. It's not like you know uh, your entire life depends on your plate appearances. Matt Olson can play the game of baseball. Nobody's better than Freddie Freeman. BJ, he's the best first baseman in baseball. Some will argue that Matt Olson number two, no, 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 no less than number three. So you've got you trade the number one player for the number three player. I get it, but I think Matt Olson the first time he leaves the yard, BJ, they're gonna be like, oh that guy there because like I said. Matt Olson, 39 homers, I think, a year ago. I don't think Freddie Freeman has ever had 39 homers. I think 38 I is his career. I believe you're right. I, I think Freddie Freddie's career high is 38. Now, look, and I'm going to say this. Is Freddie Freeman going to be missed? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not just for what he did, BJ, for the team, but what he meant to the team. I mean, he brought that level stability. He was a humble superstar. Never, ever made it about himself. Always deferred to his teammate. Never placed the blame on anybody. I mean, Matt Olson, man, I'm pretty sure he understood who he's replacing. But go out there and start your own legacy in Atlanta, BJ, which is going to be, uh, it's, you know, it starts on Thursday. I like his chances. Okay, how important is that start? I mean, if you're, is this easier to do? I mean, is it obvious? Is it easier to do if, if, if you get off to a great start? And how if... We're two weeks into this, and he has one or two hits. How does he bounce back from that? Because you know what the talking points will be. Uh, if if you Matt Olson, I would say, look, you you can't really you, listen. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Kind of stay right there in the middle. You're never as good as they say you are. You're never as bad as they say you are. But go on, they brought you over here for a reason. And BJ, this is the thing. He's on a roster that he doesn't have to be the man night in and night out. You can go out there and be yourself. Work on you know work on your plate appearance. Work on your pause. Work on your aggressiveness. But BJ, he's been in the he's been in the majors a long time. He understands how to get it done. I mean, I, I just think that for Matt Olson, just be yourself. Don't worry about what the nays the naysayers are gonna do. What naysayers do, but you play for the Braves. They don't. They coming to watch you. They're not the other way around. Go out there, enjoy yourself, young man. Leave the yard. Have some fun doing it because you're going to be on a roster that's going to – that young energy is just going to pour out. I don't worry about Olsen, BJ. I worry about Ozzy and guys like uh, Ronald Cunha when Ronald Cunha finally comes back because I need that young energy. Braves and Reds opening day on Thursday. I think that game is going to be on ESPN Thursday night. Of course, you'll hear the Atlanta Braves right here all year long and the defending World Series champs. This is going to be a great team once again. We know Max Fried is going to be the opening day starter and uh, some news uh, on Ronald Acuna potentially with 
uh, what he could be looking at with his injury and uh, return. We'll get to that next. B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop here with you. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We are streaming live on the web, ESPNCoastal.com. Glad to have you with us, 3 and Out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hope you're doing well. B.J. Bennett alongside Ben Troop here on a Monday afternoon. We'll have take three in just a second as we bring P.J. Zoo. P.J. just such great energy. Always love seeing. We'll bring PJ in for take three momentarily as I stall and Ben try to find the music bed. I mean, at the end of the day, whenever PJ is in the building, you already know two things. Oh, no, 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 no. PJ, PJ got pulled over the other day. The PJ said, "What's the problem?" And they said, "Well, I mean, it's illegal to be walking around with two guns and a six pack." And PJ was like, "PJ, like, that I, I can't do nothing about it." And if you ever been to <laughs> a barbershop with PJ, I'm sorry, nobody's allowed to move. Just watch this masterpiece. Take place. And I said, thank God, <laughs> officer, I don't have a six-pack. <laughs> I do have a keg in the back, though, so don't. I do have a keg down there, though, so don't, listen, listen, don't look down there. Listen, listen, we ain't got a chance to do this. One day, me and PJ, we're going to do, do our podcast go call Two Guys in a Truck. And we, it's, it's, it's coming to a it's coming to pod, podcast near you. We, but, you know, we're going to keep you all in suspense till then. There you go. I found Can't the wait. music. I found the take three <laughs> music. Good for you. As we bring in uh, PJ Zuko here it's on stuff, Monday man. to take three. I like it. All right. Take one. Opening day's just around the corner, guys. Can't wait for that. Braves getting back after it. After, of course, winning the World Series there last year. But the Braves also just placed Ronald Acuna on the 10-day I.L., not 30-day or anything like that. The 10-day IL. When will we see Acuna take the field? Yeah, I, I still think it'll be maybe the end of the month, maybe a couple of weeks. I, I think you want to be very careful. I mean, Ronald Acuna is one of the you know best players in baseball, can do it all. Some speculation, we've heard this for weeks now, could he, could he DH as you have that in the National League and then you're out there so you don't have to play in the field and run the risk of – of injury there, maybe I think I think maybe that's an option. Uh, I do think Ronald Acuna is is very very close. I do think that we will see him sooner rather than later. I don't think this is going to be something that carries into into midsummer. Uh, but I think I think a couple of weeks and you have the ten day IL maybe maybe gives you some options. Uh, you know potentially you can reassess in a week or in, or, or in a couple of days, but. I do think it will be sooner rather than later, and that will obviously be a fantastic thing, Ronald Acuna out there doing what he does. Yeah, I do, I do think uh, it gives them a little bit more time, but I think I think it helps with the impatience of maybe other guy like Ronald Acuna. When you are on a team and you want your team to do well, but you but the, listen, the uh, the teammate that you want your team to do well, the ego in you wants to wants you to be a part of that uh, part of that process. And Ronald Acuna, when he went out, I mean, you know, people thought that the season was over. You see what what the Braves went on to do. You know, to win the win the World Series, and he's watching. It's hard to watch when you're a current player and you coming off an injury. So I think they did a 10, 10 day IL. So I mean, that way he understands that. Look, we're gonna we're gonna have you, you know, uh, ready to go. But it makes it so that I can kind of see where he is mentally. If he's, I mean, you can't go off of batting practice. Can't go off what you do in practice. I want to see how you are in game time. And, and, and they are letting him DH. He can go out there and see, you know, get get his baseball legs under him. But make no mistake about it. Does not mean they're gonna rush him back? It just means that from a player standpoint, from a fan standpoint, from a team standpoint, Ronald Cooney Jr. is healthy. At least it says that. When we will see him, we we do not know. But it, but at least it gives us a perception of he will be back sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I I don't know. I don't I don't really have a date. But if anyone knows me, this this might be a surprise, right? I'm aggressive with a lot of things like NASCAR. Be aggressive. Get out there, Rubens racing, right? 
Uh, offensive play calling in football, be aggressive. Get after it. Same thing with the defense. Blitz people. Do, do whatever you can. One thing I am not aggressive with and never will be is coming back after an injury. So, like, no matter what, whether it's the end of the month, next month, whatever, just make sure you're 150% just at the end of the day, no matter what. We, we want to see this guy on the field as much as possible, uh, not, not, not any, any of these lists or anything like that. So just make sure he's 150 200% before, before you get him back on the field. That's when I want to see him back, uh, no matter what. But uh, guys, take two. Obviously, the national championship in basketball tonight. You got Kansas and North Carolina. North Carolina coming off that emotional victory over Duke, which we saw Coach K officially start his retirement. If you're North Carolina, though, would North Carolina and their fans rather have just a national championship and no win over Duke or the win that ended Coach K's career in the Final Four and not a national championship? So basically, is it just good enough that they made it here and beat Duke and end? I'm not going to say it that way because I really don't like that wording, but and and. Got the last win over Coach K in the process. Well, the obvious answer is both, and they have a chance at that. I mean, what a what a storybook season. I maybe I don't understand the rivalry enough because my my gut says national championship. And and I get that the last win over Coach K, but think about this. If we're talking about just the win over Coach K, you still had the win in the regular season. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about not having that potentially in this hypothetical scenario in the NCAA tournament you would still have the win over Coach K in Cameron. And I think even at a place like North Carolina, that's that's one of the great wins in program history. To go into Cameron with all the stars there, you know, the emotion, the storylines, and you win, and that's it. Last home game in Durham for Coach K, and you won that game. Now, of course, it takes it up a level when you see what happened over the weekend, and you win in the Final Four in, in the first ever meeting between the two programs in the NCAA tournament, which... I had no idea uh, pr- pr- prior to that being announced, but you're still talking about a national championship. You're still talking about that's you know that's what you compete for to win it all. So maybe there are Duke Carolina fans going, no, you don't understand the rivalry, and and I'll hear that. But my gut is saying the national championship is the ultimate prize. The national championship is the ultimate prize if it was if it wasn't this. Think about UNC BJ. Look, we live in a time now, right? It's all about the stories. It's all about when you played, who you played, and how you played. You're going to go back years from now, we're going to say, what, what is UNC all already going to be attached to forever? Coach K's legacy. So they're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where'd you play? UNC. When? 2021. Did y'all win it all? Yeah, but, no, we didn't win it all, but we beat Coach K. The Coach K? Yeah. Not only did we, not only did we beat him to uh, send him off into retirement, we beat him the last Home game. BJ, I, I think I think this is a little bit different because I say this. As a person that never won a national championship, that would have loved to have won a national championship, I think that's great. But that's one thing. You won a national championship? Yep, no. When you get to talking about the games, like Aiden Hutchinson, going to be the number one overall pick, plays at Michigan. What do they do this year? They beat Ohio State. Now, they want to win the national championship, but you want to beat Ohio State. Like, because that's what college, that's what college athletics is. You got to beat the rival. Did you beat them? Yeah. Look, you, you want to win it. I ain't taking nothing away from it, BJ. But now when Coach K does this 30 for 30 and he gets to this part, they're going to be calling North Carolina dudes. Hey, man, what was it like to beat him not once but twice? So I, I would say, but you know, you know the, the the player in me, obviously you want the natty, but 
The fan in me, hey, man, you be Coach K. The legacy is forever now because the greatest college basketball coach in history, y'all are tied, y'all are tied, you know, tied right at the hip. So give me the, the win over Coach K, BJ. It will live on forever. I don't know, man. It's it's so up and down, right, to me. But at, at the end of the day, I guess just as a competitor, I, I want a championship no matter what. As a as as a fan of a team that hasn't won a national, like not in basketball or football, obviously, but like a, a, a team that hasn't won a national championship during my lifetime, like I, I want a championship. So whenever something like this comes up, sure, I love beating Ohio State, right? But if it means I can have a national championship, I want the national championship. It is what it is. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't really see that. I actually just texted a, a uh, one of our good friends, a North Carolina fan. So we'll see if they they come back with their opinion. But I think this is all that all this is kind of crazy, right? That like you said, maybe I don't understand the rivalry enough or whatever. But the whole narrative of they're playing with house money tonight, and if they lose tonight, oh, that's okay. We beat Duke. I what you're playing for a national championship? How is that just enough? And whatever. But uh, also, like while while we're on the topic, and you guys gave me a mic, so it is what this is your fault. But uh, I don't. I hate this phrasing of like UNC quote unquote ended Coach K's career. Like I, I get it, and you know you love the fact that you're the you're the last team to beat him and whatnot. But he retired. He ended his career. He could walk in tomorrow and be like, "Hey, I want my job back," and they'd be like, "All right, John Shire, sorry, but you're gonna have to wait a couple more years." Like. I don't know. It's like, I get it. You know, you want to poke fun, okay. whatever. But th- that phrasing, I don't know. I'm a I'm a phrasing guy. That phrasing is just weird <laughs> to me. I don't I don't like it. Anyway, take three. I don't even really need to preface this as much to to, to under for you to understand why it's so big. I, also, I mean, you have Christian in here every day. He got a little hint that this might happen, and ooh, he's on the prowl. He's back. That's it. He's gonna win the Masters. But guys, is Tiger gonna play? Is he going to play in the Masters? And we'll get into this more momentarily. I, I kind of feel like the momentum's there, and it would be it would be disappointing for everybody in golf sports if if he can't go. And uh, I would assume what he's doing is going out and, and testing his body and seeing where he is and seeing how he responds to what is a very grueling uh, responsibility potentially of being out there four days of of of, of eighteen holes and competing against the best in the world and going out to win. I mean, Tiger Woods, if he plays, is is playing to be in the mix. He's not just coming up to show up to Augusta. He is absolutely, if he goes, I would assume there's an affirmation that, okay, I've gone out, I've gone through the motions, I've practiced, I feel like I can contend to win this thing, which a couple of years ago, I mean, right there in a way that, that nobody saw coming, my gut says yes. You're there. You got there a week early. Uh, the storylines are there. Again, the momentum's there. The anticipation's there. The excitement's there. And if you can't go, you can't go. You certainly understand that. But I, I just think the preparation is happening. Uh, we may not know for a couple of more days. Could uh, could be Thursday even, the, the start of the tournament, where he comes up and says, yes, I'm going. I think he came out and said it's going to be a, quote, game-time decision. Now, does that mean Thursday? Maybe. Maybe that's going to be hard for a lot of people to have to wait a few more days to see, but just a prediction. My gut then says yes. Yeah, I think he's going to do it. I think the thing, uh, the thing about a guy like Tiger Woods is what makes him such a iconic figure is everything he says. Everybody pays attention to it. When's the last time a guy just showed up who hasn't played for a full year? People going crazy. When's the last time a guy that's not even going to be in a tournament pulls up on his yacht and he's not going to play? 
That's his shot so he can watch everybody else in the tournament. Tiger Woods, you know, a Tom, a Tom Brady, a LeBron James, they bigger than the game. And they understand, though, look, I don't want to cheat the game. Tiger Woods said, look, if I'm going to play in one tournament, it's going to be the Masters. My body, every, everybody has, you know, I don't know, you know, what, four, four good rounds of golf in them a year, I guess, if you're on the tour. And the thing about Tiger Woods you can't appreciate is he ain't making no promises. He said, it's going to be a game time. I'm not, I'm not here to try to get a full 18 in. I'm not here to be, you know, kind of walk the greens. Tiger Woods is responsible for entire, the entire Augusta National being reshaped, redone, re-landscaped. Because when what he did that one year, they redid the whole course. But if, but, but for all that, I'm saying Tiger Woods is going to do it. Tiger Woods is pre-social uh, media, pre-YouTube, pre-sensationalized media, free, free trying to get clicks. But now he's a part of that era. So now every time he shows his face, he goes, like you said, BJ, I don't want to just be here. I'm not here to be a, a, a celebrity, uh, you know, uh, golfer. I'm here to win this thing. And BJ, I know what he did a couple of years ago was crazy. I know Coach K just got sent to retirement. <laughs> Tiger Woods comes back and plays, and he wins it? Does he might drop <laughs> that thing and go, hey, man, because <laughs> – like I said, all these stories, it was, it, listen, it's been more storybook in this in 2021 I've ever seen. You know, and, and it came into 2022. We'll see what happens. But the Tiger Woods, he's there in Augusta. I think he's going to try to make a go at it. I think, like, because last week he went out and practiced there at Augusta and then he went home, whatever, and then he comes back this weekend and is shooting around some more. I, I don't think he comes back if he's not playing. You know what I mean? I I, I think if it's on edge, if it's, a, if it's this close, I think he's going to end up playing – and this might be not not be insanely professional, right? But I, I, apparently, like the inside scoop is, Christian told me on second down, he saw him with the images shown of of Tiger walking around Augusta with the shades on. Apparently, that's the sign. He's on he's on the prowl. Tiger doesn't show up with the shades on unless he's going out to win the dang thing. So apparently, I, I talked to Christian. Apparently, it's, it's it's a go. I'm ready. You heard it here first. I'm ready. It's gonna be gonna be exciting, and a lot of people waiting. <laughs> for that confirmation <laughs> that he's going to go. That's P.J. Zuko. Thank you, P.J. Thank you. We will come back with more 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. If Tiger Woods can go, and I don't I don't know when we're going to find out with the Masters tournament, of course, starts on Thursday. I mean, Ben, you're talking about, you're talking about just an appeal that uh, an energy, a momentum that that goes goes beyond golf. I mean, when, when the news broke, right, when the news broke last week that, okay, Tiger Woods may be considering the Masters, he's in Augusta, I mean, absolutely took over everything. Just the mere speculation that he might might uh, have a chance to go. And, again, as we mentioned in take three, we got the, the update that it's going to be a, quote, game-time decision and the excitement uh, potentially. And, again, I think if he goes, he's going to go to make a run. He's not just going to go to say, hey, I'm out there. You know, I, No, he's going to go because he thinks he can win. And it, it, Tiger Woods, if he goes, just what what a story. Oh, yes, BJ. Sports is about moments, right? It's, 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 it's one of those, where were you? Where were you when Tiger Woods decided to play in the 2022 Masters? And, you know, you know were you watching live? Because this is the thing, BJ. This is one of those things to where even if you don't watch golf, you don't want to hear about it. Now, you're going to see about it because social media, man, something that takes two seconds is already clipped, already being posted. But BJ, that that's one of those. It's one of those. I mean, Michael Jordan in Game Six, right? Crossing over Russell. It's like it's one of those because he's one of the icons. Not a great player, 
Not a really, really good player. He's an icon. He's the reason why all those guys in their 20s, they grew up Tiger Woods. But that's why they were yeah, red. People who may not be interested, they are now interested and compelled if Tiger Woods goes. Think about this, BJ. You don't have to be a sport. Tiger Woods is bigger than the sport of golf because you don't. most people who watch them don't watch golf. They're watching him. There is a difference. And he decided, somebody said Tiger Woods is back. Think about this. They talk about Tiger Woods on non-sports networks. They're talking about him on all networks because he's he's a BJ once again he's an iconic figure and I, Tiger Woods understand Tiger Woods like a Kobe Bryant like a Michael Jordan like a like a like a you know uh, you know like a Wayne Gretzky they know what they mean to the sport they know that if I'm like you said BJ Tiger Woods said, if I'm gonna do it man I don't want to just be here no one's gonna remember me not making the cut. I will own Christian Gokel. I'm gonna put it out there. Two years ago, Christian, or maybe three years ago, now I don't know. Christian told him we we sent him going back and forth because you know Kevin is a lot closer to uh, Tiger Woods' age than me and you, BJ. But I will say this: we were coming on here talking about what we see, right? Based on what we saw from Tiger thus far. What did what did Chris, what did what did Christian Gokel out on Christian said? Are y'all serious? Are y'all disrespecting Tiger? Because Christian understands. Yeah, we're talking about expectations. Yeah. Maybe he can do this. Maybe he can do this. Christian, I said, Christian, what's going to happen? Christian says, this is what's going to happen. He's going to be tops on the leaderboard going, to, going into the final round. He's going to come around in the back nine and watch the field of the other two guys. And me said, we watching, and we're looking at the other two guys. They're like, oh, my God. So I will say this. Tiger, if you're going to play listen, I hope you're healthy. Congratulations if you got your body back right. But, BJ, this is what Tiger does. Tiger Woods, anytime he plays in a tournament, it's bedlam, right? But if it's the Masters, wow. Because, BJ, you know how it is. He goes out there to you know, first tee. Tiger Woods gets up. And no matter how he hits the ball, get it up. It's going to be – people going to go. Because if you bought Masters tickets, if you got Masters tickets for 2022 and Tiger hadn't played all year, that is your hope. I just hope Tiger, you think he'll play you? And then somebody, they say he's here. What? So I will say, because I, I will say this, though. It doesn't matter how Tiger does. Tiger wants to win it. We want him to do well. He does not have to. All he's doing now is chasing Jack Nicholas. I get it, BJ, but he's done it all, man. He's done it all. Nobody thought somebody would do what Jack Nicholas. I remember when they said, man, ain't no way you could catch that. This guy named Tiger Woods who was on David Letterman's show hitting the golf ball when he was two years old. His daddy named him Tiger. Like, come on, man. So if Tiger plays, I think it's going to be great. My mother, who is not, like I said, are you? I'm not a golf fan. I'm a Tiger fan. Right? Let's just let's just call it what it is, right? I'm not a soccer fan. I'm a Lionel Messi fan. I'm a Christian. There's difference. I'm a fan of a player that draws me to a sport that I normally wouldn't watch. That's Tiger Woods, people. On Sunday, I want you to count the red shirts, though. I want you to count them. Because everybody say, I, if, maybe if I dress like him, I play like him. Nope. No, that look good, feel good, play good, they pay good. That happens for Dion. That happens for Tiger. Not happen for most, but I hope he does play BJ. He means everything to And we've sport. talked with Rich about this, but I, of course it's the Masters, obviously. But will there be some disappointment if after all the anticipation that, you know, he was going to be back? And, and, and maybe that was a rush to judgment. I mean, we still don't know. He said game time decision. Yeah. Now, what does game time decision mean to him? Does that mean Thursday morning? Does that mean Wednesday night? Does that mean when I feel like I'm ready to, you know, get into – Whatever the game mode is for him, whatever day that is, if it's normally 24 hours before 48, 72, I don't know. But what will I mean? Will there be a disappointment? I I, I think there will be clearly if he can't go. Of course, it's going to be a disappointment. But you know why it's going to be a disappointment, BJ? Because we place all the expectations on him. He has nothing to do with us and our expectations, right? 
That's the only thing that leads to disappointment, right? Expectation. Tiger Woods is being out. He said, I'm a game. T- I'm telling you the truth. He, you didn't talk to a trainer. You know, so, I mean, uh, golf is an individual I think a lot sport. of people will go, man, we were right there close to having well, Tiger. I, I didn't think it was a possibility. Well, think about this. Tiger's showing you what, what sports and sports figures and iconic figures do to people. We start saying we. We was right there, right? What do you mean we? We. Tiger, he was there. We was almost. No, we didn't do anything. Like we win and die. I mean, I'm sorry. We we win and lose with each other when you think about uh, these sports. But, BJ, I don't know what you compare to Tiger, though. Tiger can't do normal things. Tiger can't go to the mall. Like, think about this. The master of a Tiger is golf home. I can't go anywhere. Hey, there go Tiger Woods walking down. Hey, Tiger Woods is doing a podcast. He can. And it's been like that since he played golf. So, I will say this, BJ. Will I be disappointed if he doesn't play? Yes. I'll get over it, but for Tiger, though, right? Tiger got that. I know, and I, we miss Kobe, man. Tiger got that Kobe in him. He got that, man. I'm telling you, these boys ain't better than me. What you mean? They ain't telling you. And, that, I, and that's why I think, <laughs> and that's why I think when he steps out there, yeah. he's making a run. And if he can't go, he can't go. You keep saying that because he has said, again, a report, game time decision, yeah. okay? Or or it has been something to double, but game time decision. Uh if, if he can't go, he can't go. But if he can go, I think watch out. And it oh, seems it's, improbable. It's crazy. It's crazy. It seems unlikely. It seems like that would be too it's gonna good be t- to be it's true. Gonna be t- let's call it what it is. It's going to be Tiger Watch on Thursday. No matter what program you're on, they're going to be like this. Listen, I'm already, listen, this is what this is our level of program today. But if Tiger plays, we're going to go to the Masters. What? Yeah, but man, we're a home and gardening network. I don't, what did you, I don't care what we are. Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods is in Augusta, Georgia. I graduated high school in Augusta, Georgia. Tiger Woods is down there, off of Washington Road, down the road from where my sister used to live, who moved because of the Masters. That's how crazy it's getting. But BJ, you know, just like I know, when Deion Sanders said he's going to Jackson State, you couldn't believe it. That's Deion Sanders, right? When 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 Tom Brady said he was coming back, Tom Brady's coming back. When LeBron goes to Lakers, that's LeBron. Tiger Woods is in the building. Nothing moves until he does, and when he does, everything go back to normal. But I think just to be able to see this man in person, because BJ, if Christian, if we if we find a way to get Christian tickets to the Masters, he's probably going to get kicked out once he sees Tiger, because he's going to lose his mind. And I think it will be worth every every penny. But hey, man, Tiger, do what's best for you, man. But if he can't play BJ, it would be a, I mean, just one of those iconic moments in just in just sports history, definitely Masters history. Yeah, and he said game time decision, so we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but Thursday, if he's out there, wow, Tiger Woods. We'll come back. Uh, Zach Goodall from All Gators on Sports Illustrated will join us next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. P.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, glad to be back here with you. 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hope you're doing well on a Monday afternoon. We'll talk some draft with Ian Cummings of the Pro Football Network uh, coming up in about 20 minutes as the NFL draft is on the horizon. Uh, spring continues there in Gainesville with the Florida Gators. And with us now on the program to talk about the latest as uh, Billy Napier settles in there with Florida, Zach Goodall from All Gators on the Sports Illustrated Network, allgators.com. Zach, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you so much for coming on. So, Billy Napier uh, there in Gainesville at Florida. What's the latest uh, spring practice with the Gators? Uh, Things have been going well. I mean, for the most part, you can tell that there's definitely been a culture shift uh, as there was expected to be with the new coaching staff coming in. Um, The biggest thing when it comes to on the field right now has been injuries throughout camp. 
Napier understood when he got here uh, some of the recruiting struggles, I guess to put it lightly, that the last coaching staff had. And he admitted last week after their practice, uh, their spring scrimmage rather, their first one, that really they only have a first team and a second team at this point. Usually teams will have three. But considering the lack of experience across the roster, um, I don't want to call it a lack of talent, but I would say that it's not where it needs to be to be a contending SEC school. They've got a lot of work to do. Uh, They're going to hit the transfer portal. Obviously, they're putting a ton of effort into actual high school recruiting, unlike we saw from the previous staff. Um, But right now, you know, in the present, they're down three scholarship tight ends with four scholarship tight ends on the roster as a whole. And Napier is a guy that likes to use a lot of 12 personnel, a lot more than Dan Mullen did in his offenses. So, you know, the the team is doing well, all things considered. But my biggest concern at this point is the offense going through a consolation when, again, you know, you're – you're an offense that likes to have tight ends on the field 30 to 35% of the time. And currently your tight end room is one scholarship guy, two defensive tackles, an outside linebacker, and a long snapper. And Zach, and Zach, when you think about this roster as a whole, as you mentioned, they got a lot of they got a lot of work to do. On the offensive side of the ball, I mean, I know it's going to be all about AR-15 and how he, uh, how he makes a jump from his freshman to sophomore year. But the one thing that uh, the guy like Billy Napier has shown to do is Running the football, how have the running backs look, and do you think those guys are going to be able to be key contributors in 2022? Yeah, sure thing, and I think that's a big part of why they want to go 12 personnel is to have the two additional blockers right there on the line, maybe one guy operating out of a big slot, but, you know, big bodies that can take bodies out of the way to get the run game going. Uh, currently, they have uh, four scholarship backs. They're expecting a fifth one to enroll over the summer in Trevor Etienne, um, but the group has looked good. Yeah, it's a mix of you know varying talents and a Lorenzo Lingard. He looks like he's gotten the majority of the first reps, whether it's you know in scrimmages or in practices, whether it's going through drills or, or team. It seems as though he is currently the leader in the clubhouse to at least during the spring game in two weeks be the first running back to get a carry. Uh, but we've seen Montreal Johnson uh, get quite a bit of work. He's the Louisiana transfer. He has experience in this offense as the Sun Belt freshman of the year at Louisiana last year. Uh, there's prized former Clemson transfer Demarcus Bowman. Uh, he was a he was a player that Florida wanted very very badly out of high school, coming from Lakeland, where they obviously have a lot of ties. Uh, and it makes it a top heavy group. Uh, they've got those guys that have competed throughout the majority of spring. Naquan Wright uh, was a strong contributor last year. He's been a part of the offense for three years, and he just recently returned to practice after um, after suffering a lower body injury at the end of last year. It was pretty serious, but he, he is now back in and doing drills. Uh, he's still wearing a no-contact jersey, but it's a significant step in the right direction. We're chatting with Zach Goodall, allgators.com. Uh, Zach, how have uh, Anthony Richardson and the quarterbacks looked here this spring? Um, it, it's tough to tell. And one thing with um, with the access we get is we only get about 15 minutes during individual drills. But we do get to see quarterbacks throw with receivers on air at that time. And you know, it's it's a lot like what other people have said before about Anthony Richardson. You watch him throw. You watch him roll around in the pocket because he's so athletic. He's a special talent. He's a guy that, as long as he's developed correctly, can be one of the bigger-named quarterbacks in college football just due to his special abilities as both a passer and a rusher. I think he's looked good. I've seen a lot of really, really well-placed balls. Uh, Napier has been very, um, very fond of him thus far. He's made a lot of great comments about him saying he sees the same thing. He understands why there's so much hype behind this guy. Uh, right behind Richardson is Jack Miller, the, off- uh, the Ohio State transfer uh, this year. 
he's another guy that doesn't really have much experience, but he's been in quarterback competitions at, at programs that produce high-quality quarterbacks. I mean, we see in Ohio State produce a C.J. Stroud this year, a Justin Fields the year before, Dwayne Haskins before that. You know, he's, he's been around competition. He knows how to work in a competition, and, that, and that's what Florida's trying to bring. They're, they're trying to get a competitive, all-bought-in atmosphere from their entire team because they felt like it's been missing in the past. And even though, you know, it looks like Richardson is the favorite to start at this point, but they're definitely thankful to have Miller around and the experience, the competition that he provides. You talk about being able to uh, be there for the first 15 minutes to watch individual throwing, throwing on air to the receivers. I mean, we talk about those receivers, Justin Shorter and Whitmore and, you know, Henderson. Who, who has stood out, even though I know that Justin Shorter is kind of leading the group right now? Yeah, I think that those are their top three. And, again, with it being 12 personnel, we may not see three receiver sets that much but they can still do a lot of good things with these receivers because they, they bring a lot of different talents to the table. I think shorter, you know, he can be a deep threat. He can be a go get it um, type of guy at his size, but he, he also has looked really polished as a short to intermediate route runner over the past few years, working on the outside, able to beat press coverage. Uh, I think that he end up, he might end up being their top target this year just because of his experience. Whittemore is someone that if you know, especially if you're going with a receiver in the slot, he's a big body guy that can win in the middle of the field. He's also been in a no contact Jersey for most of spring, but he's still been doing drills and looked fine. I believe he just recently shed that Jersey. Uh, Henderson's another one, you know, he's a big body guy and he's got a lot of speed that I know Florida's trying to untap because he's shown glimpses just over the past two years that he's been here, but it's not really all come together yet. So they're confident in those top three at this point. They're still trying to develop their depth in a guy like Jaquavion Frazier's. Uh, Dejon Reynolds is another one. Some younger talent that the last staff was able to recruit. I do think that's one of the positions they recruited the best uh, during the Dan Mullen tenure with Billy Gonzalez. So Napier, you know, he's certainly happy with what he's got there. And by limiting what the receivers are doing, they're able to give some guys, at least in my opinion, a bit more development. We're chatting with Zach Goodall, allgators.com. Uh, we're seeing the preseason predictions come out. Zach, where do you think Florida should be should be ranked here in the SEC East? Hmm. Oh, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I don't think that this is a team that's going to be able to really contend in 2022. I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in rebuilding this roster from the ground up. Again, get actually having a third team in place by the time fall camp falls around um, is certainly something that they're striving for to, you know, to do. I mean, they're going to, like I said, use the transfer portal as much as they can. And they've got a tough schedule. You know, opening up with Utah and Kentucky back-to-back is certainly not great for a team that is in full-blown rebuild mode. I would probably put them in the middle of the pack. Um, you got to like what Tennessee's doing. I think Kentucky has, you know, turned itself into a really solid team, consistent team, that is capable of coming in and beating Florida this year um, as long as, you know, if the rebuild is taking some time. And that's something that Napier has done quite a bit so far is he's tempered expectations. You know, he's never demeaning about his roster. He never says anything bad about it, but he's, he's been careful. You know, he's been in his press conferences making sure to watch what he says and let the fan base know, you know, we're putting all of our effort in. Maybe a year from now we'll be contending for SEC championships. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. This isn't exactly what he said. But you guys just need to trust our process here. We've got a lot of work cut out for us. And we're doing it in every aspect. It goes to recruiting. It goes to the transfer portal. It goes to extremely defined and detailed uh, methods in practice that we should see them reap the benefits 
maybe not this year, and maybe they'll win some close games that people don't expect them to win. But I'm looking forward to what this looks like in a year from now. Zach Goodall, allgators.com, our guest. Zach, thanks so much for the time. Absolutely. Thank you. Ben, all the predictions are coming out in your mind. Where I, I mean, who's the top contender to Georgia out east? Do you think Florida can be that? I think they can be, BJ, but, you know, realistically, I think it probably is going to be Tennessee when you look at what Henry Hooker meant to that, uh, you know, how he just jailed with that offense once he got in there. Kentucky has proven to have, you know, you bring it back, you know, you bring it back, you know, you know, uh, Rodriguez or whatever at the running back position. You talk about what they do with Levis at the quarterback position. Florida got a shot because they can beat Kentucky and Tennessee. Nobody's catching Georgia right now. I do agree with Zach right now. they kind of middle of the road. The fact they don't have a third team, and they still got to really work that transfer portal. That tight end room is concerning. The wide receivers are concerning. But at Billy Navy, he knows what he's doing. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, middle of the pack right now seems, uh, seems a bit right. We'll come back with more. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, back here with you on three and out on a Monday afternoon. I uh, hope you're doing well. A lot going on. A great time to head over to Coach's Corner uh, in Savannah. And with us now to talk about his bracket, and March Madness uh, from Coach's Corner, John Henderson. Coach's Corner, the sponsor of our Bracket Challenge on ESPN Coastal. John, what's up? How are you? Hey, guys. How y'all doing? Doing great. So, uh, I know we've talked about our brackets. Not much to talk about. What about what about you? How have your efforts been here uh, uh, with, with the NCAA tournament? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, my bracket was wiped out real early, but I did have Duke going to uh, the Final Four and to, to the championship game, but uh, I'm, I'm a Duke fan, so that was my heart. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to be watching the game instead of playing in it. But uh, my bracket's done okay, but not real good. Now, John, I mean, you mentioned being a Duke. I mean, being a Duke fan, how hard was it to watch you uh, watch uh, you know uh, Duke lose uh, to North Carolina and uh, Coach K uh, playing his coaching his final game? Man, let me tell you what. You want to hear it? Really, my brother is a huge North Carolina fan, so we have a feud, a rivalry that's going on for 30 years or so. And it, it was it was humbling. I, I was very humble. I did congratulate him today when he came by. Um, uh, and, you know, they, they, they won the game. They, they did what they had to do. And uh, it was a great run for Duke and uh, an even better run for North Carolina. So uh, I, I'm, I said I was pulling for Kansas, but no, guys, I'm going to be pulling for North Carolina. Chad with John Henderson from Coach's Corner, the sponsor of Coach's Corner is of our bracket challenge on ESPN Coastal. And John, you think about the Duke Carolina rivalry, and it was an incredible game the other night, came down to the end, but these two programs had never met in the NCAA tournament. Then they do that in Coach K's final year. It ends up being a game, of course, that comes down to the wire, one of the great games in the history of the series. I mean, how incredible was that, regardless of who won? It was incredible, but listen, why in the world, in the history of the NCAA tournament, did they not put those two teams on the other side of each other so that they might have had a chance to play in the championship game? Makes no sense to me. And, John, I mean, John, you're right. I mean, when you think about – look, it was all about – you know, when you talk about brackets, St. Peter's is the reason why a lot of brackets was busted. I mean, the, first, the opening, I mean, the opening game against Kentucky, and then you talk about how Duke – a lot of people had Duke – with this being Coach K's last year, with him saying he's going to retire after this year, and you talk about uh, potentially putting North Carolina and Duke in different brackets. When it's all said and done, you still got two blue bloods. You still got North Carolina. You still got Kansas. With all the Cinderella stories, it still comes down to the best teams that's ever played college basketball. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. These two teams deserve to be there, and uh, a lot of upsets in the way that came down the line. But 
Uh, it's going to be a great night tonight. We expect a great crowd. Uh, hopefully everybody will come out and support the game, uh, the teams that are playing. And, you know, it, it stinks that it's on Monday night at 830 or whatever. And I guess we got to take care of those West Coasters. But, uh, you know, it, it sure would be nice to have this game on Saturday instead. John, tell folks about Coach's Corner. I know a popular spot, great spot. You guys busy uh, all the time. But uh, tell folks what they can uh, find at Coach's Corner tonight, this week, and just all that's going on. Man, well, I'll tell you what. This is one of the best weeks in sports for a sports bar outside of Super Bowl. I'm cer- certain you all know the Masters. I've heard you all show the Masters, Braves baseball starting. Uh, you know, just everything that's going on right now is exciting. Uh, the championship tonight. We also have a, a podcast or a sports show that we do the 19th hole. That's going to be starting up Wednesday, and that's a master's preview done by the Herb Brothers. I'm, i got to throw a plug in or two, please, guys. They do a fantastic job and get thousands, 20,000, 30,000 people watch this show. And uh, it, it's amazing. We build a butler's cabin right behind coaches out in the sound garden. And, uh uh, for anything else, it's it's a lot of I mean, you, it's a, it's humorous. It's great. It's great entertainment. So check that out. And uh, but anyway, back to sports. This is one of the best weeks. We got NASCAR. We got you know just anything you can think of going on right now. Our sports sheet that we print out every day is three days long or three pages long. I mean, so um, we're looking forward to it. And as long and also the music we got going on. It's uh, we we've kicked off a great great season of music here in the Sound Garden. And uh, we're looking forward to a great season coming. And, John, I know you mentioned that you, you know, your brother's a North Carolina fan. You're going to be rooting for North Carolina tonight. Do you expect there to be a lot of North Carolina blue in there uh, coming up tonight? I'll tell you what. If there's not, I'm going to be real disappointed because, you know, the Tar Heels have a huge fan base, one of the biggest around, I think. And uh, I, I hope that they do decide not to watch it on their couch and come out and watch. You know, it's only two hours, guys. You'll be home by 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And uh, our girls, or whoever wants to come watch it, but uh, we're going to be up here having fun on the outside video wall too that we got. So uh, if you got time to come out tonight, please come out and join us. Stop by and see John at Coach's Corner. John, thanks so much uh, for the time. As always, we'll see you soon. Hey, bud, appreciate it. Y'all have a great show. And we'll see John in a couple of weeks for the NFL draft. Uh, we will be at Coach's Corner uh, for the NFL draft first round. Looking forward to that. Should be a lot of fun, but a great spot, and uh, obviously. Uh, one of our favorite spots, certainly Coach's Corner in Savannah. Coach's Corner has always been uh, near and dear to us, BJ. I mean, John is always super-duper supportive and everything we want to do. And like you said, man, if you if you never ever never been to Coach's Corner, it's a lot of things to do. But the food, ladies and gentlemen, is, I mean, is A1, is A-OK with me. We're at 100. I, every time I go in there, BJ, I try to stay away from them wings, but I'm a wang person, BJ. I know you're a Philly, Philly cheese person hey it's all great and he mentioned can you imagine we talked about duke north carolina <laughs> in the final four can you imagine uh if this would have been in the national championship game what we saw the other night john was saying put him on the other side yeah. and who knows how it would have played out but a duke north carolina national championship game for coach k's final game bj i don't think our heart is going to take so much i mean i think about it when you think about uh, your your rivalry team, and then y- y'all got to play for it all. You're already nervous. You're happy that your team was there. You're, happy, you're not happy with who they got to do it up against. But, yes, Saturday night was incredible, but I don't think uh, I don't think Duke fans could have handled it had they been uh, playing for it all. We'll come back. The draft, as we mentioned, uh, first round into the month, we will be broadcasting live at Coach's Corner uh, to get you ready for the NFL draft. Countless storylines. We'll come back. Ian Cummings of the Pro Football Network will join us. He has updated his big board, 300 players ahead of the NFL draft. Who does he have at the top? What does he think as we're getting down to it? 
are going to be the choices for the Atlanta Falcons and the Jacksonville Jaguars. We will get into that as we come back. B.J. Bennett here alongside Ben Troop. Three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network, ESPNCoastal.com. Glad to have you back. Final hour of three and out on a Monday afternoon. A busy hour. A lot to get to. B.J. Bennett here alongside Ben Troop. South Carolina wins the Women's National Championship last night, 64-49 over UConn. We will get into that. Obviously, North Carolina and Kansas uh, later tonight for the Men's National Championship. But the NFL draft on the horizon. And with us now has updated his big board of the top 300 prospects in the NFL draft from Pro Football Network, Ian Cummings. Ian, good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just uh, doing some more draft work, obviously April. So, you know, that's really all there is to do, right? And the lead up to the NFL draft, but watching tape, you know, making scattering reports. That's just how it is. Always a fun time, though. How do, you, how do you evaluate and rank 300 prospects? I know your latest edition of the rankings up, but how do you, how do you get into that? I mean, what a, what a task. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's always a handful for sure. It's, it's fun, though. It's fun kind of seeing where things stack up. I'm working on a numerical grading scale right now. This is my first offseason working with that. I'm not done with it yet, but I'm trying to experiment with that and see what, see what pops out based on you know grading certain traits and weighing those traits. It's a fun process, and I'm excited to kind of see what takeaways we can glean from this offseason and how we can improve it in the next cycle. But, uh, yeah, in regards to how you rank it, it is pretty subjective right now. It's just like which player would I take above a certain other player, right? You know, there's a lot of subjectivity to it, but you watch the tape, you can make those assertions, and that, that's kind of where it starts. You always just got to watch the tape and make your, uh, make your decisions from there. Ian, you're uh, on your big boy top 300 players. You got Kayvon Thibodeau, your number one player, uh, ranked over a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, who had, who everybody seems to be his uh, clear cut number one. When you what, what do you like about uh, Kayvon Thibodeau? And obviously, you've had a chance to see him the last three years. Yeah, he, so I think the the chief defining trait with him is his explosiveness. You know, I think that's one of the most important traits for edge rushers, especially getting that quick pressure around the edge and getting a step on the offensive tackle. So that way you can win around the apex. Now, he does need to improve at winning around the apex, but the explosiveness, the first step is really there with him. And on top of that, 31 and one-eighth inch arms, you know, he's got great length. And with that length and his explosiveness combined those two elements, you have great power generation capacity. So he can use that length and, and, and explosiveness to really just surge into his opponent's you know, torso and drive them back. And we saw him win that way quite a few times in college. Uh, the hand usage is there. You know, it's not quite where I want it to be at the NFL level. But, again, he shows really bright flashes in that area, you know, kind of stacking moves, deceiving tackles into extending, and then, you know, with a little ghost move, get under him and explode into the pocket. You know, he shows a lot of bright flashes. And I think it all revolves around the explosiveness, the length, just the physical tools that are there. The upside for me is really the, the, the top selling point with him. And that's why he's my edge one, because he's got that upside and he flashes hand usage to the point where I know he understands how to do it. It needs some refinement, but well on his way. And we've seen some mock drafts that have, you know, him sliding a little bit. I mean, by the time it's all said and done, because for the longest time, he was talked about as, hey, the number one overall pick, going to be a top three lock. I mean, by the time it's all said and done, do you think, do you think Thibodeau does go that high? And is he in the mix for Jacksonville? 
Yeah, I think at this point, a lot of the smoke is leaning toward Aiden Hutchinson to Jacksonville, which I, I like him, too. I'm a little lower on him, but I still like him, and I can see why people would be higher on him. I think with Kayvon, we've seen a lot of the character concerns talking. Me, personally, you know, there's only so much I can see from my perspective, so I don't want to make any sweeping judgments about a guy's character when I haven't had a chance to speak to him personally. That said, there isn't enough smoke for me to say. NFL teams may be considering this, may you know facilitate a slide down the board for him. I look at the Falcons at eight, and to me, that would be his four. I think if you're the Falcons, if you have a chance to add a pass rushing presence like this, you have to pounce on it. So to me, that's as far as I can feasibly see him going. But we've seen crazier things happen in the NFL draft. So I, I don't think it's out of the question that he could fall beyond that point. Me personally, that's what I would see as the four for him. But you know, again, we've seen crazier things. I just think the upside dictates that he's taken highly. The guy you have number three on your board to me is good enough to be number one. If you really look at all the intangibles, Kyle Hamilton coming out of, you know, say they're coming out of Notre Dame. What do you? What? What is there not to love on tape when you watch this kid? Yeah, so for me personally, and I think it's pretty close at the top of the board. Like, I'm not going to hate on anyone if they have Kyle Hamilton at the top of their board because I do think he's a fantastic player. I finalized his grade this past week, and I think the the chief, you know, the the the, the best parts of his game, you know, the explosiveness, obviously the size at six four two twenty. I mean, this guy's big, and he's got 33 inch arms. He's got arms longer than Aiden Hutchinson, believe it or not, and he's playing safety out there, right? So he's got a really wide disruption radius. Uh, again, very explosive. And when you're playing safety, you know, uh, a comp that I like to bring out is Justin Simmons. You know, he ran a 4-6, right? Everyone was making a big deal out of the 40 time. And I don't think Hamilton has elite deep speed, and that's what not- brings him down a little bit of a notch for me. Also, I don't think he has elite fluidity when he's playing that big slot. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer to gather himself and gear up, especially when he's facing, you know, smaller slot receivers. That could be an issue. But, again, I think largely you're looking at a very versatile defensive chess piece and again, at safety, you know, you're rarely covering the entire field. You're in too high, you're in the big slot a lot of the time. So I think that covering that half of the field, really what you need is to be able to gear up quickly and explode to the ball. And Hamilton definitely has that with the size. He has great range. And especially, you know, people were talking about the long speed, but with his processing, with his instincts, he really does a good job of playing fast and mitigating that concern. It's still there. It's still something to take into account, but it doesn't change the fact that he is a top five prospect and an arguable blue chip prospect in his class so if you're looking for a guy who can take on deep responsibilities play strong safety enforce in the box play the big slot against your six five tight end on the other side this is a guy who can do that so i love i'm a big fan of his game not my number one prospect but definitely at the top tier uh, for me in this class we're chatting with ian cummings of the pro football network profootballnetwork.com give andrew booth the corner out of clemson as you're a second rated prospect tell us about him and, and where do you think he ends up getting selected yeah, I think he goes lower than where I where I have him, and I'm okay with that. The big board is, you know, how I see these guys, so there's going to be a little bit of a disconnect, as there is with every ranking you see. We've seen a lot of mock drafts where he's fallen to the 20s, some even out of round one. I think the main concern with him is the injuries. Obviously, you know, tweaked his hamstring before the NFL Combine, couldn't test, and then he had core, uh, he had hernia surgery, so he's going to be ready for training camp. The reports are saying that he will be ready for that. But sometimes injuries are enough to push prospects down. We've seen NFL teams can be a little touchy about that. That said, I look at the tape, I see a very, very sound cornerback, and everyone you know, gravitates to the plays on the ball, which obviously you go back to 2020, even some 2021. He has very good vertical leaping ability, very good ball tracking and body control in the air. The ball skills are high level. But at the same time, I look at his work on the ground when he's matching receivers, this is one of the twitchiest cornerbacks that I have ever seen. I mean, he is so sudden and, and, and you know, detailed with his movements. 
he can be a little controlled, more controlled with his technique. There's sometimes when he, you know, swerving a little bit too much. Sometimes he gets off balance. But the twitch, the short, short, short area burst, the fluidity, the agility, you know, he has all of those traits in high capacity. And then on top of that, when he's breaking toward the ball, exploding toward the ball, closes ground very quickly, very physical player, elite in run support, coming downhill and making those tackles in open field. You know, and on top of that, you know, being able to match receivers and stick to them but make plays on the ball as well, he's got that combination. And on top of that as well, you know, he's a long dude. He's got over 31-inch arms. You know, so I, I love the upside with him, the athleticism, not just to make plays in the air, but also simply to match wide receivers, the twitch, the short area burst, the corrective twitch in particular. You know, you're, you're facing a lot of quicker, faster receivers off the line. And with those releases, they can get corners off balance. So if you have the athleticism that Andrew Booth has to stay balanced and stay in phase, that's a valuable thing. So that combined with his playmaking ability in the air and on the ground is what makes him my top overall or my top overall cornerback and my number two prospect. I'm a big fan of his game. I know you mentioned a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau won't sl- won't slip past the team like number eight at the Falcons. If he does, if he is already gone, what about what about your number six overall prospect, Jermaine Johnson? He goes over to Florida State, has a banner year, ACC Defensive Player of the Year. What do you like about him when you watch him on film? Yeah, Jermaine Johnson is a fun dude because honestly, they you can't poke a lot of holes in his game. With with Kayvon Thibodeau, you can say you know his hand usage. Well, he shows flashes. Flashes is not quite elite at that elite level yet. I can say that Jermaine Johnson's hand usage is far and away one of the best in this class. I mean, this dude, you know, gets to the edge and knows how to win at the apex. He, he doesn't have elite bend, but he does have very good bend. I was impressed by that, you know, where he does have some ankle flexion. He can sustain some acceleration around the corner. Not the most explosive dude, but again, a very good athlete. We saw that at the NFL Combine. I think he checks basically every box that you look for. A long, really wiry, strong frame. Uh, he can use that length to get a lever on guys, can create separation between himself and offensive tackles. But then he's got really strong hands, too. That's one thing I really loved about his tape. Some guys know how to place their hands but don't always have the strength to dis- disengage and get through the apex. Jermaine Johnson is very good, not just in being calculated and precise, but forceful with his hands. And having that combination, you know, that's a sustainable method of success at the NFL level. I think the biggest question for him was the athleticism. It shows up on tape that he has enough athleticism. He confirmed it at the NFL Combine. So for me, he's a top-ten prospect. And if you can get that at Atlanta, I don't think he quite has the amount of upside that Kayvon Thibodeau has, but that's a high bar to clear. I think if you if you get Jermaine Johnson, you're looking at a very steady playmaker who can provide that pass-rushing presence that they've lacked over the years. Ian, if you're Atlanta at eight, I mean, how do you, how do you weigh all of the options? I know, of course, we'll wait and see what happens in front of them, but – an edge rusher, potentially an offensive lineman. I know a lot of talk about a wide receiver. Could you be interested in a quarterback? Uh, what do you think Atlanta uh, priority-wise is is looking at with Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith here uh, as they have a top-ten pick? Yeah, it's tough, man, because as you said, I mean, a lot of needs that you could address if you are Atlanta. I lean edge rusher just because I think there are a lot of very strong options at this point in the draft if Kayvon or Jermaine Johnson is there. Quarterback, I mean, like I, I get it for sure. I think, but I think you signed Marcus Mariota. You got your bridge guy. I wouldn't want to force the issue in this class. You know, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a bad class. We got to wait and see how these quarterbacks pan out. That said, the next year's class with C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young on the surface is looking like it could be stronger. Maybe if you're Atlanta, just use all these picks on on you know skill position players, you know other sides of the ball, and then come back next year and get that quarterback in 2023 there's a lot of ways you could do it if you really like quarterback there then 
you know, if they really believe in a guy, they have more information. They've met with these players. But at the end of the day, I think the value best falls for them at edge rusher. Now, if Kyle Hamilton falls as well, that's something you could do as well. I know uh, Dean Pease loves that versatility on the back end, and Kyle Hamilton does provide that, you know, in spades, right? So that's one thing you could look at. Wide receiver, though, I think I would lean edge rusher just because I think wide receiver is also a very deep position in this class. And I think especially if you're Atlanta, having the picks that you have, 43, 58, 74, 82, that's a great range, to, and even 114, a great range to potentially double up a wide receiver and take advantage of the depth in this class. I feel like if you're looking for that blue-chip guy, I feel like you really need to prioritize edge because that's a position you impact the opposing quarterback directly. You know, And if you don't have that, we've seen what a lacking edge presence can do to a defense. It's not pretty. So I think getting that first, that's what I would prioritize at number eight, whether it's Kayvon, whether it's Jermaine Johnson. Those are my top options, but there's a few others as well. You know, get that presence and then focus on other needs with the rest of your picks. The, the good thing is they have a lot of, of picks. They have five picks on days one and two, right? So that's a great opportunity to kind of strengthen your young core and take the next step in your team development. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Atlanta number eight. I mean, obviously the Jags are going back to back, picking number one overall. I know everybody. I know you got Kayvon Thibodeau as your number one prospect in the top three hundred. The guy that everybody's slated to go number one, Aiden Hutchinson is not. In your in your top ten, what do you like? What do you like about his game? You talk about, I mean, obviously six 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 seven. You can't coach height and limp, but what do you like about his game? And do you think he is the best overall prospect who's probably going to go number one and when it's all said and done? Yeah, Aiden Hutchinson is an interesting case study for me because you say you know he's six six for sure, but the proportional length is not quite what you'd expect for him being six six. He's actually only got thirty two and one eighth inch arms. And length is kind of usually when people are talking about, like, hey, this guy's tall, he's long, too. You know, it's kind of usually there's a positive correlation between height and length. But for Aiden Hutchinson, you know, he has below average length while also being six six and a half. So it's an interesting discussion to have because I know the threshold has been 33-inch arms. Usually, you know, when you're drafting an edge rusher round one, that's, that's the one. You know, I think the last edge rusher – with sub 33 inch arms to go round one was Vic Beasley, and that, obviously that didn't pan out long term. Now that doesn't mean you know correlation does not equal causation. And I look at Aiden Hutchinson's film, and I think he does a lot of good things to counteract that. You look at you know what's the biggest thing that pops for him? Probably the motor. All right, this guy has a never-ending motor, plays with all-out energy on every snap, and I love that about the dude. He also put a lot of athletic questions to rest at the NFL Combine. I think he has great explosiveness. I think he could get more out of it if he fixes his stance. He plays upright a lot of the time, which I don't love. Not only does that kind of sap away from his leverage, you know, but also it kind of you know prevents him from getting full juice off the line. His hips are a little stiff around the apex. He's definitely more of a power rusher, a guy who uses his violent hands, can't always win around the apex. Now, that was something that I had for both Thibodeau and Hutchinson. I don't think either has elite bend, but I think Thibodeau is a little bit better there. Hutchinson is usually pretty... You know, he, he kind of wins with his hands and his violence and getting offensive tackles off balance with that twitch and energy. And he's great on second effort sacks, too, with that high-end motor. Uh, but I do think, you know, with Hutchinson, the limitations would be the bend and the, you know, the lacking length. But at the same time, he really does a good job counteracting that with the hand usage, with the violent motor. You know, it's all there for him. It's just a matter of, you know, what is his ceiling going to be? I think the floor is very high for a guy like Hutchinson. And he's still improving his hands still working to be more precise. So, again, the traits are there for him to be a Pro Bowl talent. But when you're at this point in the NFL draft, when you're trying to take the best overall player, you can't just look at what they are now. you got to look at what they can be. And I look at guys like Thibodeau and Jermaine Johnson and even Trayvon Walker. 
they can be much more than what Hutchinson can be. But that's not a knock on Hutchinson. He can still be a really good player. I think you just got to look at, you know, if the motor sells you that much, then it's tough to turn away from that because some guys just have that mentality where they're a game-changing talent just because of the aura they provide a defense and then on top of what they can provide individually. So Hutchinson could be that guy. You saw what he did for the Michigan defense. Maybe that's where the top overall pick here. Ian Cummings, Pro Football Network, our guest here on 3 and Out. Ian, thanks so much for the time. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. We'll see. Draft coming up at the end of the month. We'll come back and talk college basketball. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. What a performance last night from the South Carolina Gamecocks to win the Women's National Championship, finishing a season 35-2 and with a 64-49 win over UConn in a game where they really dominated uh, Aaliyah Boston, National Player of the Year, 11 points, 16 rebounds. Destiny Henderson, 26 points. I think South Carolina really dominated the game from a defensive standpoint, from a rebounding standpoint, uh, controlled the game. What a season uh, from Don Staley. Don Staley becoming the first black coach to win two Division I uh, basketball titles. Just an incredible job. Congratulations to her in South Carolina. Uh, they They have a season for the record books, and they cap it off with just a remarkable, memorable uh, national championship performance and a big win over UConn. You know, BJ, there are certain coaches that understand their role, not just for their particular sport, but what they mean to just college athletics as a whole. When I think about women's college basketball, I think about Geno, uh, you know, uh, you know, with UConn. Um, I, I, but the thing about it is, and I think he still is the gold standard when you talk about all he's done, all he's meant to women's college basketball. When Don Staley came into South Carolina, she said, look, I'm not coming in just to be another coach. I understand being a black woman, I have to go out there and supersede expectations at a level to where I, I get I get to uh, open up doors for other black women that want to be head coaches. You talk about her being the first black coach uh, to win, uh, you know, two national championships. That's both male and female. I think what she means to the SEC. I think what she means to just to just changing the narrative. I think I think too often the times when you get to thinking about women's athletics, we can't get past the women. We think that the sport is dumbed down. It's not. We think that the sport uh, does, uh, you know, lacks intensity. It it it, it does. It, I mean, it, it doesn't. And I think when you look at last night, Don said, "Look at look at." It's not so much they won. Look at how much fun they had because it's so much weight on their shoulders. Listen, I have I, BJ. You have a little girl. I have two little girls. They're watching that. They're saying, "Wait a minute. Look look at what these ladies are doing." And I think that's what I get from it. It's almost like. We'll never know what it's like to be a to be a woman athlete in major college sports, whether that be you know high school, college, you know uh, you know uh, uh, semi pro pro. But I know that no matter what, they always got to answer. They always got to answer things they have nothing to do with. What I saw last night was a team that said, "Look, we are thirty five and two, and they came out. I mean, that yes, first quarter yes. against UConn yes. because because you think South Carolina's had a dominant run through the NCAA tournament, but you think you know UConn pulled off a little bit of an upset, I believe." beating Stanford in the Final Four, and you're thinking, man, UConn, you know, the 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 historical standard, and here comes South Carolina, national champion in 2017 and now 2022 with Coach Staley, and they wasted no time. I mean, that was right away. They were the best team on the floor, and they maintained like a 10, 12-point lead. But, I mean, what you're saying, well said. And and I think, I think you know, South Carolina, Coach Staley continue to be great examples, and it was, it was quite the show last night. Uh, from the Gamecocks, Lady Gamecocks. I mean, they left no doubt, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna take down if you're gonna take down the gold standard, if you're gonna take down a monster, if you're gonna take down a giant, you can't be timid. You have to be confident. And you have to be aggressive. 
if you think if you think about if you think about um uh South Carolina, I know they know for having great scores. They have lockdown defense. They take pride in it. They take pride of shutting down, you know, the opposing team defensively. And they and they and they look to get in, they look to, you know, get up and down the floor with their with their offense. And if you ever seen Don Staley play, you know, from my time in college to, to the, you know, when she was on the uh because we talk about the we talk about the US men's Olympic team. Uh you might want to go back. The US women's Olympic basketball team was Stellar. I mean, I'm talking about Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Swoops, Don Staley, and the list goes on and on. I think what happens is, BJ, you know, when you try to you talk about somebody like who's Don Staley, she understands that I, I have to be one of them ones. I'm a, she wants to win it all every year, but she understands I'm waving the flag for not just myself, not just black women, but but women in general. When you think about respect their games, no, don't I don't want to hear about making you know lowering the rim so they can dunk or all these nonsensical things. No, they're very, very skilled athletes. I'm very, very happy uh, and proud of uh, South Carolina last night because I think Don Staley. Look, if you ever seen that coach, man, she's a fiery coach. Now she don't, she don't, she makes sure those young ladies are ready to go out there and make it happen. But she gets to kind of just breathe a little bit. But BJ, you know how it is. You breathe. You the last team standing, but you already get back into recruiting. You already was the hundred. Now you got to do this thing all over again. But for one night, like I said, it's not how many fights you had; it's who you fought. Who did you win it against? You won it against uh, you won it against UConn, and here's a crazy fact: the last time the women's the South Carolina women's uh, basketball team won the national championship, the North Carolina men's won the national championship. So 2017. So we'll, so we'll see if that's any correlation come tonight. Well, and we were talking this morning about about the performance. I I went and looked. They they out rebounded UConn 49 to 24. Wow. And you and I love teams that that rebound, play defense. South Carolina was doing that, obviously shooting the ball yes. very well as well, but. That was a complete performance, yes. a comprehensive performance, a dominant performance, and they're not going anywhere. Coach Staley, that roster, the way they're recruiting, uh, this, 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 you're talking about a dynasty in South Carolina. Uh, two, two national championships now uh, in recent years, and with the way they played last night, what a brand, what a style, uh, what a showing, and at your best, on the big stage, against the best, South Carolina was absolutely that. Don Staley is Don Staley's uh, entire uh, you know persona, you know just. Just like oozes, you know, uh, through all those uh, those uh, young ladies that play for, uh, you know, uh, South Carolina. And the thing about it is, like I said, BJ, I, I get it. Big bad SEC in football, I get it. You got you got uh, you know you got Beamer Ball in uh, Columbia. No, uh, the big woman on campus is, is Don Staley and the South Carolina women's uh, you know Gamecocks. And the thing about it is, is I'm happy for him for so many reasons, man. I'm just it's hard to win. It's hard to win consistently. It's even harder to be the last team standing. Most people would not be able to say either one of those things. Don Staley has won a second. BJ, you know she wants more. Signed a big time contract extension in the offseason. We're gonna have to get up there to Columbia, BJ. Listen, whenever we get a chance to get up to Columbia, we're gonna have to make two stops: the football office and the basketball offices. And when we walk out to see the head basketball coach, he could say, "What's up, BJ? What's up, Ben?" I'm say, "Yeah, I'm sorry, coach. We're here to see uh, Coach Staley. We we didn't have you on the docket." But shout out to the uh, to the lady to the uh, to the lady Gamecocks. They find a way to get it done. Yeah, what a performance! And uh, you mentioned. Last time South Carolina won the women's tournament, <laughs> North Carolina won the men's tournament. It's North Carolina and Kansas tonight. We'll get into that. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Men's National Championship game coming up later tonight with uh, Kansas and North Carolina. Kansas a four-point favorite. Now, North Carolina, you have the emotion of the Final Four win. How do you respond? How do you bounce back? How do you kind of uh, follow up one of the greatest wins in program history, one of the most famous anticipated games in college basketball history with, oh, yeah, now you have the national championship. 
But before we get to that, you and I were looking. I think tip is like 920. Oof. I mean, are we going to be able to? I mean, I know, can, can you nope. stay up? I mean, if, if it says 920, that means it's probably starting at like 938. Yeah. All right. So that means. I mean, I for the tip, for the tip, BJ, maybe like the first. This, this is the problem, though, right? The one thing about the national championship, what I don't like, it's a lot of commercials. They will go to commercial for anything. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. So for me, I'm gonna have to ask my mama what happened because my mama don't even my mama don't even start getting sleep until about like twelve. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be it 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 might be tomorrow. I mean, I'm not saying I don't have a vested interest in watching this now. When it comes to North Carolina, do I? I ain't wanna miss nothing. I mean, I'm sitting like oh, but I think that's part of the story here, right? Because for for North Carolina, it it felt like uh oh Duke's getting their chance and Coach K is going to do it right because you had the loss in Durham for Coach and K it's hard last to do it twice. last game at Cameron and you thought that's incredible what a win for North Carolina one of the great wins in program history even at a place like that and then when the NCAA tournament started to go round around you went oh my goodness we're going to see this again in the Final Four and I think a lot of people thought this is this is Coach K they're going to have redemption they're going to bounce back they're going to play well. And credit to, to to Hubert Davis, North Carolina. I mean, what a performance uh, down the stretch. Those guys were elite. Yeah. And they in Coach K's career after uh-huh. ending his uh-huh. after ending his home career. And the the response from the fan base, the response from the media. Obviously, the celebration was extraordinary. Can you have that? And then forty eight hours later, do this. You can. You can, BJ, because I think. Um, I think when you a guy like Hubert Davis, who's who's done it as a player, who understand what it what it takes to have big performances in the Final Four in the tournament, to have big performances, but because and this is to take nothing away from the other, you know, four conferences out of P five, it's something different when you play in the ACC. You learning how to win in the tournament during the season, then you go from the regular season to the conference tournament to hopefully get a bid, you know, in the in the uh, in the NCAA tournament. But BJ, this is another thing I think that, that we don't realize. Remember, remember when uh, the, the head coach could wear the suits and the assistant coach could wear the suits? Not no more. It's all branding now. Duke got on all the little Duke pullovers. North Carolina got on North Carolina pullovers. They got on the team-issued shoes. But what I was most impressed with this weekend is the class shown by Coach K. Coach K is 75 years young. Coach K understood that everybody's going to be watching. BJ, nobody, listen, nobody moves the needle in the NBA like LeBron. Nobody moves the needle in uh you know in the MLB like the Yankees. Nobody moves uh the needle in college football like Alabama. Nobody moves the needle in in uh in uh men's basketball men's basketball like Coach K. And we respect that. Like, make no mistake about it. Coach K is an icon walking. Like he is. But when they showed him after the game going up to the North Carolina players, telling them, see, because you gotta think. If you went to North Carolina, you got recruited by Duke. Let's just let's just cut that out. He knows every last one of those players. But to say I played against Duke, and 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 it it, it was just a great showing, BJ. It was a back and forth. Like I said, blowouts happen. I don't like blowouts in the big games because it doesn't really tell the tale. That was a that was a top to bottom slug fest. Really, really good. But I, I I love the fact that Coach K showed a lot of class. And look, to all the weirdos on social media saying all this crazy stuff. About Coach K, come on, man. His legacy was good way before the early. He was, sure, yeah. it, it was secure in the early 2000s, let alone in 2020, 2021. Five but national championships, 13 final Everything four we know about Duke is tied to Coach K. Everything we know and love about. Think about Grant Hill, who's doing the game. 
who got to who got to remain like cordial. It got to remain neutral. You know who he's rooting for. But how BJ? You you listen. CBS, whomever called you to do the game, Florida State is in the national chair, and you got to call it. How does one keep your nerves? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> I'm just saying because, I mean, that's another thing. Grant Hill, you know, man, Grant Hill got the gray beard, man. Grant, him, Christian Layton. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And he's trying to be analytical, but then at the end he goes, but I'm real nervous, though. That's his – that's the fan coming out. Hey, man, I think it and was a like great game. And you like that. You love of that. Of course, of yeah, course. But- I, I, you know, trying to separate is hard to do. Coach K, though, I mean, the end of an era. I mean, what a story, what a run, the dominance, the excellence. And yeah, it was it was special seeing him, seeing him post game. It was. Coach K is one of those guys, BJ, like I said, like a Tiger Woods, like a LeBron James, like a Michael Jordan. Uh, you might not even you might have never seen them do what they do in real time, but you know who they are. Think about it. I've never seen you. I've never seen you before, but I know you coach for Duke, right? Yes. I mean, you got an arena or whatever named after you. Like, these, they look, when they name fields and arenas after people, you know, they're no longer there. Like, they're no longer coached there. Not while they're there. So, it's going to be weird uh, to watch, watch it next year, BJ, but he did it the right way. And like I said, we talk about Coach K like he's 50. He's not even 60. He's 75, and he's still out there getting it done. Hey, man, listen, listen, a legacy was born, BJ. That 30 for 30 is going to be Magnificent! It's the only one. But Tom Brady will not be long with the coach, you know, Coach K's, unfortunately. But yes, BJ was beautiful to watch. Hubert Davis. I mean, the torch was passed to him. But like you said, BJ, can you finish the job? Because think about this. He gives and a- oh, by the way, what a challenge! You know, for all the talk of you know Coach K, Carolina. Now you have Kansas, and Kansas won pretty comfortably over a great Villanova team. Uh, kind of quietly, there have been other stories in the NCAA tournament. You know the the just the g the the I don't know the 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 rarity of that of that yeah. Duke North Carolina moment. Yeah. You almost didn't see the other side, and then you go, oh, there's Kansas, and here's Kansas waiting quietly. I mean, they they they're going to bring it tonight, and if North Carolina is 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 going to win a national championship, I think they're going to have to have an A plus effort. Yeah, Kansas plays with a lot of poise. Uh, Kansas plays with a level of confidence, BJ. I mean, because the thing is. They hold, look, when it comes to the Big 12, it's Kansas. Even though Baylor was able to get it done, you know, last year, I think what happens is, though, B.J., Bill Self, once again, I don't even know how this happens. This guy's already in the Hall of Fame. Like, I'm already in the college basketball, you know, college, you know, Hall of Fame, and I'm still coaching. B.J., I mean, I know, he, I know, you know, he's he, Bill Self has seen all the Coach K North Carolina. He's seen it, but he wants to play Party Crasher tonight. I want to play Dream Killer tonight because – we talked about it earlier. Would we rather, you know, have the win if we win the North Carolina, have the win over Coach K to send him into retirement? And now with that, well, that's over. That's us sitting behind these mics. If you North Carolina, why do like somebody said, why do all that if you don't finish the job? Kansas is going to be a huge mountain to climb. And I think you look at a couple of stars tonight. I mean, it's oftentimes the role players. It's oftentimes the stars. Yeah. And Ochai Agbaji for Kansas had six threes against Villanova. Great outside shooter. Armando Baycott for North Carolina had over 20 rebounds yes. in the Final Four. Has a sprained ankle, and he's going to go. He's going to. I, I mean, you know, he's going to get it, give it everything he has. But be interested to see what type of kind of angle that plays. Can he be healthy uh, for a full game? But I think I think you're going to have just star programs. Star coaches, star players, going to be a lot of fun. It is, BJ. This is what stars are made, right? This is what everybody's watching. Because the thing about the thing about national championships or world championships or world series, that's what everybody watches. And not everybody watches the NBA playoffs. 
Everybody watches the finals. Now, everybody watches the, you know, the NFC. Everybody watches the World Series. So, BJ, everybody will be watching. As much as we make it about the stars, could a unknown star, you know, uh, you know, light shine tonight? That, that's what I like. And the one thing I don't like about I do love and don't like about a, a national championship, I'll go back to when Villanova won it. Man, you could just freeze frame that three. When he, It's like he just stood up. It's just in the air. And when he let it go, that ball, it looked like it, it seemed like it, what, took 30 minutes to go in. More buzzer beaters or last second threes are hit in the, in the NCAA tournament that you will see all year long. It should be a great one. I hope it comes down to the final shot. Well, and you talk about movies, 30 for 30s. I mean, if North Carolina has this season where, again, kind of on the bubble, enter yeah. the tournament as an eight seed, yeah. incredible run during yeah. the NCAA tournament. In the final four, you beat Coach K again. And the way it happened, just a remarkable, memorable finish. And then you go on to the national championship game and beat Kansas. I mean, you talk about one of the great stories in college basketball. BJ, you already here. What if I told you that Hubert Davis grew up wanting to go to Villanova, came down to Villanova in, you know, North Carolina, chose to go to North Carolina. He ended up. I, it's listen, Bill Self, Hubert Davis. You know, I mean, you, you talk, you talk about, you talk about Kansas. You talk about North Carolina. You talk about the blue blood. You talk about the history. You talk about the tradition. You talk about the love. Like you said, BJ, stories are already built. They are already written. But the final, the final chapter will be will be written tonight. I hope I hope it's a great one, and I hope it's an unsung, you know, player off the bench who haven't had a lot of playing time comes in, gives some quality minutes, gets a big block, gets a big three, and ends up being, you know, uh, you know, the tournament MVP. Can North Carolina match the intensity of of what was as we talked about one of the most hype games ever? A a a finish that came down, you know, back and forth, back and forth. Can they match that? And if you're Coach Davis, uh, how do you how do you manage the emotions between maybe the most iconic win one of in program history and now a chance at more history with the national title? Got to finish the job. It, don't don't let it be for nothing. Don't go out there and do what you did against your arch rival, even though it's it to make it to the national championship to do it for nothing. Because BJ, you know this. It's hard to remember who lost. It's definitely hard to remember who beat the team, who who won. Who won a game that was meaningful, but it wasn't the game, even if, even though it was the biggest game in North Carolina and Duke history. Uh, you got to finish the job. The hardest thing to do is to do it again. The hardest thing to be is consistent. And Hubert Davis, let's face it, he's being all cool, calm, and collected. Until he wins the natty, you know, Roy Williams has a pass the torch. Now, he's done some incredible things thus far. Beating, beating Duke for the last game in the regular season, beating Duke for the last, you know, for the, the, the go to the national championship. BJ, we talking about big shoes to fill. Roy Williams, proven winner. Everywhere he's been, going to be in the stands. Hubert Davis wants to finish the job, BJ, because the same way everybody was jumping on Duke because, oh, they got beat by North Carolina. Those same boobers are waiting in the wings if North Carolina comes up short tonight against Kansas. And it's a late night. It's a late night. You'll hear it later. But uh, North Carolina and Kansas for the men's national championship. And I, I think – Armando Baycott, his health going to be a big storyline. Yes. yes. Uh, just uh, again, over 20 rebounds in that last game. That's how you. That's how you win games. BJ Bennett, Ben Troop here with you. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We'll come back with more. Also streaming ESPNCoastal.com. National championship game coming up a little bit later. North Carolina and Kansas. Kansas a four point favorite ahead of uh, tonight's tip. I think 9:20 is supposed to be the tip tonight. So later tonight. North Carolina and Kansas, but Ben, what a week. Uh, the Women's National Championship last night, the Men's National Championship uh, tonight. Savannah State started spring practice today. You have Masters Week 
uh, obviously, in Augusta. You have the Atlanta Braves uh, opening day on Thursday. We'll chat with Kevin McAlpin of the Atlanta Braves Radio Network tomorrow as the Braves get ready to take take on the Reds and defend their championship on Thursday. But just a lot going on, and we'll have Kevin back here with us in a few days, but but just a lot going on. It is, BJ. I mean, sometimes when we think about the offseason, we think it's going to be slow, and next thing you know, uh, we talk about, you know, you talk about uh, the Masters. I mean, you talk about uh, opening day in baseball. You're talking about, you know, spring football. And, and next thing you know, BJ, we'll go for spring football. Now you got spring football games. I mean, and and, and look, what, this time next year we're going to have, what, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if I will have to check, but I think uh, the USFL might be going on right now as far as like, uh, as far I think it's going to be like training camp or something like that. I will have to, I will have to check. But look, Tiger Woods in Augusta. People are waiting with suspense, BJ, to see what he's going to do Thursday. Shout out to the shout out to the women's uh, Gamecocks for winning the national championship. Got the national championship for the men's tonight. With uh, you know, when, when you look at what when you look at what a team like Kansas is trying to do with UNC, you talk you, you I mean you talk about the fact that when we think about sports in general, it brings us together. It gives us something to root for. It gives us something to root against. It keeps our energy up, enthusiasm up. But yes, BJ, the the the, the days of slow off seasons. Well, in the there draft, in the draft, right and around the, the, the corner. the pre-draft process with the draft going on, I think BJ, a one Aiden Hutchinson, was in Jacksonville today meeting with the team. Quickly, what happened? I, you you went through the meeting process. I mean, are are, are any guarantees made? I mean, what 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 happened? I would I wouldn't say guarantees are made, BJ, but this is the time to. I want to, you know, you you've gone through everything right now. I want to sit down and talk with you. You you've seen the mock drafts. Well, you, it's a gazillion of them. Not anybody anybody with a platform gets the mock draft now. Shout out to our own. Uh, Cody James Queen is probably doing a mock draft right now. Cody yeah, he's James. done three today. Yeah, he yeah. has. But I, I will say, BJ, it's it's humbling because I was very, very results-driven when I was younger. It was all about the end result. If I didn't get the end result, I felt as though all my efforts was like you could throw it in the trash because I didn't do enough. But now I look back on it, which I was more process-driven because I would have enjoyed the process more. I didn't control why I get drafted. I control who wanted me. All I could control is what I did when I had the opportunity to do it. But sitting in front of Butch Davis in, in Cleveland, sitting in front of uh, 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 Sarah, uh, I can't Coach Sarah Gucci. I'm not. I'm saying. I'm saying his name wrong now. Used to be the head coach of Detroit. Used to do all the commercials. I'm, I'm saying I, I'll remember when I get off. But uh, Steve Mariucci. Steve Mariucci. I'm sorry. Steve Mariucci in Detroit and Coach Sherman, who was you know who was with Green Bay at the time, Tampa Bay and the Titans. It's humbling because I know it didn't have to be. But I, I got a chance to meet Doug Williams in Ocala, Florida, at a restaurant. Didn't even know who he was. I was so freaking naive. I walk out. I'm saying, why are you people asking my autographs? I call my mama, tell me. Think about it. Doug Williams wanted to meet me at a restaurant in Ocala. So that that's how crazy it got. And, and may he rest in peace. I know we just he just had a birthday April first, as well as my brother got to meet Sean Taylor in person because because of the National Football League. He asked me, is he good enough? So it's so many stories, BJ. But shout out to every player. Do not worry about the I mean the, the end result. Enjoy the journey because most people can only dream about what you're going through right now. I want to thank Mike White, Georgia men's basketball coach, for joining us way back in segment one on the program. Hired mid-March, left Florida for Georgia. I want to thank him for joining us on the program. Also, uh, Zach Goodall of AllGators.com on the Sports Illustrated Network uh, for joining us. And Ian Cummings of the Pro Football Network for joining us. Uh, John Henderson, Coach's Corner as well. Again, tomorrow on the program, we will chat with Kevin McAlpin of the Atlanta Braves Radio Network as the Braves will take on the Reds Thursday night. Uh, you'll hear it right here as the Braves defend their World Series championship. We'll have Kevin back uh, in a couple of days, but another edition of Three and Out in the Books. Ben Troop, I'm B.J. Bennett. We'll see you tomorrow all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.